It's now time for the Billy C Show, part of the BillyCBoxing.com network. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Caliger, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening. I hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Title Bout Championship Computer Game. That's right. Listen, this is one of those games where it's a simulation game. You'll be uh, hearing some of the results of uh, our usage of the game a little later in the show. What you could do is you could take a fighter, dream fight, uh, or even a a preview of a fight and uh, punch it in there and let the computer tell you how the fight's going to go. Now, it's not like one of these graphically realistic games because uh, it's certainly not, uh, but it's really cool. You could take uh, like a Jack Johnson and put him up against a Klitschko and see how that would have fared. Uh, get yourself a copy. Visit our website, billycboxing.com, and uh, click on the banner. You'll see it title bound. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Southern Gourmet Spice Company. Check it out, www.southerngourmetspice.com. Uh, this is where I get... Uh, well, I get my Kenny Bears uh, barbecue rub from there. I love it on everything. And my new favoriteist, my mostest favoriteist, uh, is the blackened seasoning. But they also have a seasoned salt. Uh, so check that out. You're going to love it. Just visit southerngourmetspice.com and make sure you tell them Billy C sent you. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage to Baddest Men on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold. You can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to this very show. Just visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Uh, find, find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told. And yeah, I've been hawking the book for a couple of years now. Uh, just keep, if you buy yourself a copy, if everybody buys a copy, then I get to write another one. Then I get to write another one. I might even read a book or two, but, uh, anyway, um, all right, coming up on the show today, in addition to, uh, some of the, uh, boxing news that we're going to cover, uh, especially the fights yesterday, um, we're going to be taking from last week's show, we were honoring marvelous Marvin Hagler, and we started talking about um, other middleweights and and where marvelous uh, fits in to the you know large scope of things uh, in the middleweight division, and we kept mentioning three fighters: uh, Stanley Ketchell, Harry Greb, uh, and uh, um, Sugar Ray Robinson. We definitely mentioned, but I, I, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring him into the picture today. But the third one was Carlos Monzon. Um, Let me start off by saying this. The best ever, TBE, in the sport of boxing uh, was Sugar Ray Robinson. Um, You know, you younger whippersnappers uh, could think it's a a more modern fighter or whatever. Um, But uh, when everything shakes out, the the greatest fighter that ever laced on a pair of boxing gloves or shoes or both at the same time, hey, 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 uh, is Sugar Ray Robinson. Um, there's no question about it. 
there'll never be another Sugar Ray Robinson because the sport has changed. Uh, something that we're going to get into when we talk about those guys and something I'm going to get into uh, coming up here in a, in a minute or two uh, about the styles of boxing and why um, today's fighters, uh, this is going to pain me to have these words come out. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is, is today's uh, fighters uh, are definitely um, better than yesteryears. Now, w- when I say that, um, you know, I, I mean that, um, you know, in a way where it's, it's more or less um, the reasoning behind it is more or less because well, we know how to train better, eat better, uh, all these things. Um, so that's what I'm talking about um, as far as heart and determination and, and you know, uh, just overall toughness. Um, that uh, uh, is not um, in comparison. But anyway, let's move forward. Let's move forward before uh, I get uh, caught up in my own uh, whatever. But uh, uh, all right, last yesterday, uh, Dylan White avenged his uh, loss uh, to Alexander Povetkin uh, in four rounds. Um, you know, he, here's the thing. I, the official time was two minutes and, and 39 seconds. Um, I, you know, Povetkin didn't look his, he didn't look himself, but wait a minute, maybe he did. He's 41 years old, and the guy has been in some wars. Uh, he looks th- slow. He, he just, he, he's done, in my opinion. Um, he drops to uh, 36 wins, only three losses with one draw, and 25 of his wins coming by knockout. Dillian White uh, improved to 28 wins and two losses with 19 of his wins coming by knockout. Uh, they said, uh, you know, the announcers and, and some post-fight comments said, uh, yeah, he looked shaky from the get-go. Uh, and then they started, they had the balls to, to turn around and, and blame it on the fact that he had COVID, um, you know, uh, a, a couple months ago. You know, li- listen, boys and girls, co- COVID is an is a extremely contagious uh, thing that we're dealing with, obviously. Um, but uh, let's, let's make no mistake. Um, let's stop blaming everything on COVID. Uh, you know, I, it's just a typical, typical response for today's uh, people where uh, we, nobody holds anybody accountable. The bottom line is Pavekin's 41 years old. He's been in wars. And let me tell you, this is where I was telling you I, I was getting into styles. You know, if you had a guy like Pavekin, and I had a comment last week about um you know, I said that the the British fighters, the UK carries the sport on their back. And I mean that. I feel that they do. Um, and then somebody said, oh, oh yeah, that, you know, they don't know how to fight. You got to come to the U.S. Well, here's the thing. There's some truth to that statement. Um, now, the, what I meant was the UK carries boxing on their back because of the fans. The fans are much more knowledgeable uh, to, to the sport. The styles in which some other countries train their fighters is what holds certain fighters back. I think that's the case with Povetkin. If you look at the way he fights, um, today's American-style fighter has the advantage. They move, they box, they get out of the way. Um, you know, Povetkin's style is to try to wear you down, to get in close, to inflict damage to your body, chop the tree, so to speak, which works. Um, but 
as the as the size and dynamic of the sport changes in terms of the heavyweight division and you're dealing with guys like white or or you know go back a few years to lennox lewis and klitschko and of course anthony joshua and tyson fury etc etc um that style is really hard to be successful and the reason is because you got to eat so much leather before you can inflict damage i think some of these other countries specifically like russia because bevetkin's a russian fighter um, they need to alter their style. They need to, to get in. Like Lomachenko, for example, has altered the style. You know, he's not fighting in that, that uh, standard uh, European-type uh, uh, style. And a lot of the English fighters still do. They, they stand it up straight. Their chin is right out there with a big X on it. Just, just punch me here and I'll go down. Um, I, think, I think that the style and the age all caught up with Povetkin. I'm not going to blame him, blame it on COVID. Uh, they would have noticed that there was a difference of him during training camp. So uh, let's be real. Um, also on that card uh, in the uh, co-main event was a heavyweight, uh, Fabio Wardley. Um, he stopped uh, Eric Molina uh, in the fifth round, uh, 52 seconds. Uh, it was kind of a weird stoppage. 30, Molina's 38 years old. I mean, he the punch, the punch that seemingly did damage. It was like a delayed reaction, and then he uh, uh, Molina fell on his back and just laid there, uh, and then got up. His corner was complaining while he was still laying on the ground. Um, I I think that they followed the script in this fight, uh, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, Molina, his best days uh, are are certainly behind him, and even his best days weren't that great. Um, but uh, it was a good test for Wardley. But let me tell you about Wardley. Wardley, for all you Brits out there that uh, have high hopes for Wardley, he's got a long way to go. Um, this is a fighter that should take what I'm saying to heart and maybe bring in an American-style trainer uh, to join his team. Uh, he, he leaves himself wide open, and quite frankly, I think he's too small for the heavyweights today. Uh, heavyweights today got to be much bigger. I, I don't see... And no offense to anybody, but I don't really see Wardley going that far uh, in this sport, um, in, in the heavyweight division, once he gets to this next level, uh, which uh, ultimately they, they're fighting Molina, so it looks like they're, they're trying to get to the next letter, uh, level. Uh, but the fight of the night, in my opinion, was a super welterweight, Ted Cheeseman, the big cheese, uh, knocked out James Metcalf. Um, right at the bell uh, in the 11th round, which is also kind of strange. They, they say the official time was three minutes and 10 seconds of the 11th round. I don't know how that's possible when rounds only go uh, 10. They added the 10-second count to the time of the round. I, I, I got I to gotta reach out and find out if, if that's the way it's supposed to be. I've never, to be honest with you, I've never seen that in 33 years of, of following this sport and being involved in boxing. I, I've, I, I can't recall another time when that happened. Uh, I've seen many at the bell victories, and um, they basically say three minutes of the such-and-such such round, not three minutes and ten seconds. So i got to look into that. Uh, but uh, what a fight this was. Here's an example. Uh, Cheeseman improves to 17 wins, two losses, and a draw with 10 of his wins coming by knockout. Metcalf loses for the first time in his career. He's 21-1 now with 13 knockouts. Um, 
this is a case where Cheeseman, you know, again, tighten up your defense a little bit, and maybe this guy's going to make a splash uh, or at least be competitive uh, with some fighters. Can certainly take a shot, and uh, he's got some hidden pop. Metcalf, uh, his style was, again, similar, European, uh, trying to wear his opponent down. He's had much pop, no question about that. Ran out of gas, got beaten up, and that knockout was... Uh, uh, a real, uh, you know, it was a, a not KO real uh, type uh, style. So check it out if you missed it. And uh, Campbell Hatton, uh, son of uh, there's only one Ricky Hatton, uh, made his pro debut and won a four round decision. All all of uh, the judges in this case in in England, it's just the referee. He scored it uh, four rounds to none, forty to thirty six against Jesus uh, Ruiz, who drops to zero uh, and eleven. Um, you know, I, I, I noticed one comment uh, with the commentators. They said uh, Campbell uh, is learning that the pros are much different than the amateurs. And I think that that was a big lesson here uh, because um, the truth of the matter is, is uh, an 0-11 fighter, if you look at the record, and that's what I keep trying to say. I've been saying that for 18 years now on this show. You can't judge a fighter by his record. Uh, a lot of... Uh, American younger American fans do that uh, when they even Sugar Ray Robinson they look at him and say oh look he's got double digit losses he can't be good they only think a fighter is good based on the the wins and if he loses he's no good uh, that is such a false uh, statement it's uh, not even funny but uh, uh, anyway um, I'll get into some other news in a, in a little bit uh, but uh, we are going to uh, talk about these uh, three middleweights uh, I'm going to get uh, Dax Khan on here first. But one thing I, I do want to mention is uh, Mike Tyson uh, was coordinating a third fight with Evander Holyfield. It's been on, it's been off, it's been on, it's been off, and it's off again now. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about that fight because I know it's like an um, exhibition. It's going down as an exhibition. Uh, but the truth of the matter is I don't think Evander Holyfield would look at that fight uh, as an exhibition, I, I'm I'm sorry, I I just don't. Um, I would think that he would go in there uh, to uh, to make it real for for 100. I wouldn't even think twice uh, about him uh, going into that fight uh, thinking that uh, it was an exhibition. Um, I, that would be the closest to a real fight that you're going to see. I just wonder how. Uh, Mike Tyson will take it. Mike Tyson just looks like he's having fun in there when he fought Roy Jones Jr. collecting a big paycheck. Uh, I don't think he'd have to look at it that way if he stepped in with Holyfield. We'll keep your eyes on that. And speaking of comebacks, Oscar De La Hoya has been toying with a comeback. Mentioned it the other day that he's coming back July 3rd, um, you know, 48 years old. I haven't heard him discuss that it would be... The last time I heard him mention that he was thinking about a comeback, he was talking about a real fight, not an exhibition. They are tossing around Floyd Mayweather's name, but uh, the last report was a UFC fighter, so that kind of makes me think it's a, a one of those BS... Uh, well, not that it's BS. i got to be careful. I don't want to offend anybody, uh, but an exhibition fight. But uh, in any event... Uh, we're going to get Dax Khan on here in a second. But before we do, I just want to remind you, buy a copy of my book, man. Go to Amazon.com or um, BarnesandNoble.com. And speaking of Dax Khan, you could see uh, uh, a whole section in the book written by the very one and only Dax 
Khan. Speaking of Dax Khan, he's with me right now. What's up, brother? Hey, good morning. Just got done reading an email from Alex Pierpoli stating how much he loves Gibraltar because he's in bed by 10 o'clock. And I'm, la I'm laughing to myself because that was my exact thought. Yeah, well, both of you guys were bragging about staying up all night. You know, I'm in bed in, in my feety pajamas by <laughs> 7, and, and that's on a wild night. Fridays, I stay up till like, 7.30, but uh, anyway. And I, I think I replied to him, I'm like, you know, I get to watch some boxing, and I'm actually in bed before a new day starts officially. Yeah. So that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. Right, shout out to my man Kenny. I, I see him uh, watching our, our live stream right now. And uh, he's the guy I keep talking about. I, you guys, I, I'm talking about southerngourmetspice.com. That's that's the man. And uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but I'm glad he's uh, uh, out. But anyway, let's first things first, Dax. Last night, I know you watched yesterday, like, uh, like Alex was saying, which I agree. I wish all fights were on at that time. I mean, this midnight crap is, uh, is tough for everybody. But uh, Dillian White uh, stopped uh, Alexander Povetkin in four rounds. Um I, I thought White looked good, but I thought Povetkin looked extremely old and sluggish. What was your thoughts on the fight? Um, you know, it was a fast start for White. I was actually a little bit concerned at first, thinking that he's being overzealous and he's going to walk into something like he did in the first fight. Uh, you know, Povetkin was all over the place that first round. He reminded me very much... Uh, when Galata fought Lewis, remember um, Galata comes out there really strong, and Lewis is the one that ends up knocking Galata all, all over the place, but Galata's legs never seemed to be there from the opening bell. Um, Dillian White wasn't really landing those shots. When you go and you look back, you see that uh, you know a lot of them just grazed or you know they missed, but Pavekin's legs weren't there from the start, and actually. Even when you've seen the video footage of Povetkin entering into the arena, and commentators had, had even stated it, and a lot of people on Twitter were saying the same thing, that Povetkin just really didn't look like somebody who was, um, you know, arriving for, you know, for, for the, uh, a fight of that magnitude, which, you know, at his stage and Dillian White's stage, you know, that fight is a huge in terms of where their career goes next. Uh, Povetkin looked flabby at the weigh-in as if he hadn't trained a day since their fight. Uh, their first fight last year. I know he had COVID. Um, there may or may not be some lingering effects, so let's not use that as an excuse or uh, detract from Dillian White's win. But, you know, COVID does cause, um, you know, some neurological issues, some stamina issues, um, and you know, makes it a little bit hard to maintain your electrolytes. Um, you know, not permanently, you know, some guys heal quicker than others, so it's possible that could be it, or, you know, as always, Father Time is undefeated, Father Time, he just happens to one night step in there and decide that, you know, this is it, I'm, you know, I'm taking the title, and that could be what happened, I don't know, but Dillian White, he didn't look great, but it was a good win for him, and getting him back where he needs to be on that trail of, you know, inside that top 10. Hey, listen. I mean, talking about the, the COVID, and this is my point. I, I know, we, we, COVID's serious, yeah, I know. And everybody that has had it, uh, you know, tell us that it lingers on and on and on. And, you know, I'm not downplaying the, the virus at all. Um, but he, here's the thing. Wouldn't the team have noticed that in training? And, and if so, for a fight of this magnitude, you know, just like many fighters in the past, you you alter the date. You you come up with, you postpone it. You do what you have to do. Fighters that 
you know, like like the one that comes to mind immediately is Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, Manny Pacquiao didn't want to uh, upset the apple cart. He hurt his shoulder, this and that. But at the end of the day, it cost him the fight. You know, um, it, maybe we could say the same thing about Povetkin. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I was shocked that he beat White the first time. But I, I just, why go into a fight if you're not 100%? And if there are lingering effects from COVID-19, they would have seen that in training camp, don't you think? Well, me having it, I will actually say that once I was COVID-free, let's say, and, you know, about a week later, I started feeling better. And then all of a sudden I started being tired and no matter how much I slept and, you know, it gave me all kinds of other issues. And I went to go see a specialist down in the city and he's the one that was telling me all those things that I was telling you. And, you know, it was a long time before I was actually able to get my body back on, on track in terms of, you know, just my 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 b12 and things like that so and again you know that's always a possibility but the other most likely possibility is the fact that he is 41 years old um he has been other than that fight last year pretty inactive as all top fighters have been so maybe you know they just didn't want to take the chance of postponing it and if they did you know possibly that could have been postponed until the fall and then here we go we got um Alexander Povetkin by that time could be 42. I'm not sure where his birthday is, so you know this isn't even an older fighter. And and on the other hand too, they might be might have been thinking that since the other fight was not too long ago, they had Dillian White figured out, and Povetkin is a smart fighter considering his experience and all the top guys he's been in there with. That you know Dillian White was figured out, and they'd be able to do exactly what they did the last time. I don't know; those are all just speculations, but. You know, in the end of the night, you know, what happened was Dillian White, uh, you know, he avenged his, his loss. And now let's see what happens to Dillian White next because I'm a big Dillian White fan, but he really frustrates me. Oh, no, I hear you. Um, the conditioning uh, sometimes is, is my big question with him. But uh, uh, another fight on that card, and I'm I'm going to leave the Wardley fight out. It was, you know, haha. I mean, he won, but... The fight that really impressed me was uh, Ted Cheeseman against uh, James Metcalf. What were your thoughts on that one? I really liked that fight. I was surprised. I didn't think that uh, Cheeseman was going to come out there and perform so well. I've seen Cheeseman fight you know, several times before. Um, I thought he was a solid fighter, but um, I never really seen Cheeseman kind of, you know, like dig the body and, and, and get that physical. So, you know, and Cheeseman remained composed and, and Metcalf which um, would drive me nuts last night when, uh, you know, Connor Hatton, who made his debut, uh, or I mean, uh, Campbell Hatton, he made his debut. They would not stop talking about Ricky Hatton. But um, during the uh, Metcalf fight, they, you know, they mentioned that his father is Shane Neary, and Metcalf fights a lot like his father. But, you know, so I think that uh, Cheeseman went out there, he performed well, and if Cheeseman continues to improve, I do believe that Cheeseman can be, you know, a a genuine, legitimate, you know, uh, world-class contender. Cheeseman should be. I was talking about the uh, uh, styles earlier, and you know that's this is where sometimes the European style hurt the fighters. Um, you know, I'm looking at Cheeseman; he seems to do a lot of things right, except that chin is sticking out right out there. For the, you know, it's got an X on it. You know, hit me. You know, I mean, that's this is where the American trainers, I think, and I hate to say it, but I think that they excel over um, European trainers. 
and it's just for years we're not talking when I say years people think oh yeah 10 years 20 years no years we're talking hundreds of years um, they've been using that same style you know that European style that um, it's that European style that was so easy to figure out is how come that cliche that fans used to say, oh, oh, Eurobum, any fighter not from the United States was considered a Eurobum because they all use that same stand-up style, you know, the one-two punch with the chin straight up in the air. But um, Cheeseman, again, he has gotten much better from the last time I've seen him. His style is becoming more versatile. Uh, you know, a as you stated, you know, it's not so much stand-up, so that's why I really believe that, uh, you know, Cheeseman, if he continues to improve, we can uh, see that same style, that same type of performance from him, um, you know, another fight or two that uh, Cheeseman should be, you know, considered a genuine, you know, a genuine threat and, you know, possibly, you know, come over to the United States and uh, fight one of the, um, one of the names, one of the, um, maybe, you know, top 15, top 20 names in that division. And if he does well there, then, you know, Cheeseman could be a, a legitimate threat and we could see Cheeseman, you know, inside the title hunt in another year or two. What I like about Cheeseman and this seems to, to work either way. Either it helps a fighter improve or it destroys a fighter. And this is overcoming obstacles outside of the ring. And uh, he, uh, you know, had a, 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 some issues outside the ring that he uh, has overcame. And um, it, it seems that he's focused. And I, his opponent, Metcalf, was no slouch. I, I mean, this was a tough guy. He was a scary, seek-and-destroy kind of a fighter. I think this fight, uh, you know, could have gone either way. I know the announcing team was mentioning at the end that the fight was going to boil down to those last four rounds. And I'll tell you what, I agree. I mean, it was a back-and-forth fight. I, I loved every minute of that fight. That fight was the reason... Uh, I thought was the reason that uh, people watch boxing. I mean, that fight uh, really was, was the fight in the night, in my opinion. I, I did like uh, Campbell Hatton's fight, but, but he's not like his dad, at least looking at one fight. Um, and, and again, just to go back to the Cheeseman fight, the difference there was Cheeseman was able to be versatile and switch up his tactics a little bit, and that's what gave him the advantage, and that's what allowed him to pull out that late win. Um, in terms of um, Campbell Hatton, it drives me nuts when, and there's no way around it, where, you know, your father is a legend like that, and so well loved worldwide of course you're going to be in their shadow except so early on and throughout that whole fight they talked more about Ricky Hatton than what was actually going on inside the ring and in my opinion that could be very dejecting look at Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. look at um, how his whole career no matter what he was doing, all they did was talk about Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. You know, when you're sitting there and you're talking about the father while the son had just won his debut, you're kind of robbing him of his moment. And how dejecting is that? You know, especially when you're a young fighter, you're going to be sitting there thinking to yourself later on, is this what I'm going to have to go through my whole career? No matter what I do, it's always going to uh, go back to my father. Yeah. You know, how are you going to be able to carve out your own legacy? It is. And and I think that these guys, these these sons of, of major successful fighters should know that going in, Dax. I mean, you know as well as I do. And both of those examples are, are legit, no doubt. 
But how do you live up to your father when his name is Julio Cesar Chavez or Ricky Hatton? I mean, everybody loved Ricky Hatton in, in the UK. I mean, I loved Ricky Hatton and I'm here. You know, so yeah, I, I think, I, I, I know what you're saying and I agree with, with what you're saying. We need to focus on the person in the ring, not the guy that, you know, uh, helped, uh, uh, you know, bring that person in the ring. But when you have those shoes to fill, and even at an early on, and I'm not suggesting it's fair, that's something that they have to get out of that, that shadow. The same thing happened with um, Camacho, you know, Camacho Jr., same thing. And, and he was never like his father. I mean, no disrespect, Jr. I mean, I, I love the guy. I, I, I know him personally. But, I mean, it's just, um, it is what it is. You know, not all, the same thing in other sports. You know, in basketball, when you got a son coming out and, and he's, uh, you know, look at Evander Holyfield's son playing football. I mean, it's a tough, they're tough acts to follow, man. No, no, that's going to happen no matter what. It doesn't even matter if it's sports. Look at, you know, if you're an actor, look at um, Law & Order SVU, um, Mariska Hargitay. You know, they always talk about the fact that, you know, her mother's Jane Mansfield, who her father was. And Mariska Hargitay has, you know, carved out her own uh, um, legacy, so to speak. And, of course, I don't see anything wrong with actually kind of using the father especially, you know, somebody like Ricky Hatton or uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. as kind of like, you know, a springboard to help the kid um, main, main um, fast track, you know, some popularity and get him some backing and some bigger paydays. But literally, if you go back and you watch that fight again, they continuously spent more time talking about Ricky Hatton than actually what was going on in the ring. At one point in time, if you go and look at our Twitter account, I sat there and I looked and I had put a little timer on my cell phone. They went actually 90 seconds without talking about what was going on in the ring at all. All they did was talk about Ricky Hatton. Yeah, no, I... I, They weren't even doing their job, you know what I mean? You're not doing... You're there to call the fight. They weren't even doing their job calling the fight. They're talking about Ricky Hatton. Well, I think... Uh, you know, in their defense, I think that if Campbell was doing some spectacular things in there, with the exception of the first round, uh, they would have been forced to talk about him. It's called filling time. You know that. You know how to do that. You know, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, just go think if you're a young fighter, and you know, you go back. Of course, you know they're going to go back and look at that footage because you know they want to see, you know, for themselves how they looked. And you're listening to that, and you're saying to yourself, wow, I just landed a great one-two. I dug the body, and meanwhile, they're showing pictures of my father that's sitting way back 15 rows with his COVID mask on, and they're talking about something that he did 20 years ago. No, I know. You know, that's discouraging. And again, in your mindset, if this continues on for another two, three, or four fights, or, you know, gosh forbid, you know, uh, he wins like a small regional title and is in the point where you start getting genuine hopes in terms of, okay, if he continues progressing like this, I can see him as a future world champion, but then they're still talking about the father. And more or less, you know, it's just discouraging. Like, you know what? If I'm out here fighting for me, I'm doing what my father did. If this is all they're going to do, you know what? Then why, you know, why why bother? You know, it can make me either walk away from the sport or, you know, can just discourage him to the point where they figure, all right, you know what? If they're not going to give me the full attention, I might as well just make some money 
much like Junior Cesar Chavez, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. did, where you know he made a lot of money and got a lot of fights off his father's name, and then once he got that money, more or less, he can care less about the sport. And Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., despite all the criticism and what he has shown, being lazy, um, failing some uh, drug tests and stuff, he's actually a better fighter than what he's credited for when he is in shape. Well, um, he's still not senior. No, no, but again, I'm not saying know, he's still a lot better fighter than what um, he's he is when he's in shape. But I actually, you know, do believe that because of always being in the shadow of his father, and on the other hand, too, maybe a little bit of the the springboard off his father's name that helped him make you know uh, quite a bit of money. Now all of a sudden you really lose your your desire and your hunger. It's just, and you have to blame the media, not the fans. You have to blame the media because the media are the ones that the fans listen to, and the media are the ones that are talking while you're in there performing. Ah, that's it's a good point. Um, all right. So last week we talked about uh, Marvin Hagler. We were giving him accolades, and the th- actually four names kept coming up. Um, I-, I said earlier, Sugar Ray Robinson. I'm not including in this discussion because. In my opinion, he's the best ever, and there's no need to, to put him in this mix. We don't, we don't need to, to say anything about Sugar Ray Robinson. We haven't said, and if there's anybody out there that doesn't think he's the greatest fighter of all time, well, then they should learn a little more about the sport. So uh, Marvin Hagler uh, fits right in as an all-time great, and the three names that kept coming up was uh, Carlos Monzon, Stanley Ketchel, and Harry Greb. So starting with uh, um, Carlos Monzon, who was the more recent of the three fighters, um, what's your thoughts of Monzon and where he fits uh, in the scheme of, of great middleweights, um, you know, with a discussion today uh, and, you know, with some of the fans that don't include him in a discussion? They go back as far as uh, B-Hop. Well, Carlos Monzon... Actually, before I was born, you know, a few years before I was born, you know, he was so good that in 1972, Carlos Monzon shared Fighter of the Year honors with Muhammad Ali. So that tells you how good he was, you know, that, that he shared it with the heavyweight champion. You know, many times throughout the years he has been voted by credible publications like uh, uh, Ring Magazine, Boxing Illustrated, uh, you know, all the top TV um, sporting networks, you know, the ESPNs and so on, as the second best middleweight of all time, just behind Robinson, you know, who's the best period, as you stated. You know, he was a champion for seven years. He defeated, um, I forget, it was 11 or 14 um, top 10 ranked contenders and genuine, not like today's magically appearing sanctioned body mandatories, but genuine line contenders. You know, Manzone was not smoke and mirrors. His power was genuine. Um... What you see a lot today in terms of how these younger fans judge fighters are through these uh, small clips that are carefully chosen and these videos that are made on YouTube that will make a fighter look either better or worse than they actually were. But believe me, Carlos Monzon was just as good as his record on um, any video, any highlights, any discussion could, you know, claims that he was. So... With his accomplishments and, you know, the footage that's available with the um, the list of opponents that he had faced and that he had beaten, you know, such as uh, Emil Griffith twice, Benny Briscoe, Jose Naples, uh, um, Rodrigo Val- uh, Valdez, Denny Moyer, all legends in their own right. You know, Carlos Mazzone was something special. So, you know, Carlos Mazzone out of, you know, all of those, I think, 
him against Hagler, that would be the closest and hardest fight to pick. It would be a close fight, and they're more um, modern, so to speak. Uh, similar, similar styles, um, really very similar styles. The thing, and similar careers. Um, if you look at it, I mean, in his first uh, twenty fights, he had three losses, um, which you know, obviously, he avenged. He had nine draws in his career, which is uh, uh, which is uh, kind of unusual during that era. It wasn't unusual back further like when we get to a Harry Greb but um you know in his era it was he was a come at you guy and you're you're right there was so many great fighters Denny Moyer was a fighter that's on that list uh who was a tough guy now people could look at him and see well he's got 22 losses but you know come on if, if you look at the guys he fought um, that was a, a, a fighter that he walked through in five rounds. Benny Briscoe, I mean, Briscoe was one of these, I mean, they don't give out awards, the Benny Briscoe Award for nothing, you know. Um, multiple fights with uh, Valdez, um, Emil Griffith. You're, you're right. I mean, he, he was a guy that came uh, at that time, um, you know, following in the footsteps of some of these earlier uh, fighters and, and then just, just knocked it out of the park. The thing about him, which also he was beloved. I mean, they loved this guy uh, in Argentina. He was he was like a hero, despite some of the negative things he he did. Um, which obviously uh, the big thing yeah. was what he ended up going to jail for, killing his his uh, wife, um, yeah. throwing her yeah. off a a window, a, a balcony. It was what uh, uh, had happened with that. Well, in terms of, you know, how good he was, you, you brought up um, a great point where he was coming in just after, you know, some other great legends, and he wasn't continuously compared to them once he hit his prime. Something him and Marvin Hagler both have in common is the fact that they did have some rough, uh, a shaky start early on. I think that, you know, that's when they both, outside of, uh, Hagler's loss to Leonard, you know, that's when they both had their losses was early on. And then once they hit their prime, you know, they, they were literally almost unbeatable. And, you know, unfortunately, Carlos Monzon is nowadays more known by especially the younger fans for that incident that you mentioned, you know, his 1988 conviction where, um, he, uh, you know, they say he killed his common-law wife, uh, Alicia Muniz. Whether or not that happened, I don't know. You know, she fell off the second-story balcony. But again, Carlos Monzon also fell from the balcony. And, you know, he suffered, I believe, it was a couple broken ribs and a couple clavicles. And then, of course, um, there's that other aspect where um, his tragic death, um, you know, when he died in that car accident while on furlough for good behavior, he was on his way back to uh, Las Flores Prison, you know, in his home after going to his hometown. I think one of the passengers was killed um, as well. So, you know, Carlos Manzone has all that around him. You know, he has not only you know, the, the in-ring legend of beating, you know, top guys being the come forward guy, but then he also has, you know, that sad story of, you know, reaching the top and then having all vanish, um, you know, going to prison and then, you know, the car accident, you know, so um, it's kind of, um, you know, do you understand what I'm getting to? You know, oh, yeah. he has every aspect that you can possibly think of that you'd want to put in a movie, Carlos Monzon actually lived, that you wouldn't even have to make up because Carlos Monzon's life is almost like a script. It's it certainly is, and it would make a great movie. And um, you know, he had a very hard youth uh, childhood. Um, he 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 brought you know climbed out of it and and used boxing to help him. But 
many people believe that he was still scarred internally. And uh, he did have a, a, a violent uh, streak towards women. Uh, but Alicia Munoz uh, was just as, I think drugs and alcohol used to get them both uh, pretty jacked up. She shot, I believe it was her or, or a previous wife that shot him twice uh, in an argument. He was shot uh, uh, in the arm and in the shoulder at one point uh, prior to uh, him being charged uh, uh, with the murder and, and subsequently uh, doing time. He was certainly was charged with uh, sentenced to 11 years uh, just to explain the deal about his death you know this was a guy that got yes he was convicted of of murder basically got sentenced 11 years um was doing his time had was let out on weekends to uh you know do whatever and he was racing back uh from one of those furloughs he was running late uh, when he ran the car off the road and, and subsequently died. But he got sp some special treatment because of who he was, uh, Dax. And uh, uh, it would have been interesting. I mean, he was in his 50s. He was 52 years old. His career was over. Um, but it would have been interesting to, for me to hear his take on the sport today. I think that, uh, you know, his legacy inside the ring is cemented. Um, but some of the things that take place after a fighter's career is over, when they stay involved with the sport is intriguing to me, um, especially in today's world. You know, guys like, you know, Ricky Hatton or, or Holyfield or Mike Tyson, you know, uh, what they do, do they, do, uh, you know, Hagler walked away from the sport. These guys didn't. Uh, would have been interesting. How would you have seen Monzone against Hagler? I actually think that and I know I, I hate giving these answers, but I think Monzon was the better boxer slightly. But I do believe it would have turned into a slugout between two big punchers, you know, who had, both had that same mindset, you know, of just uh, of, of war. They were both only down once in their careers. I think um, Monzon, it was either his last or second to his last fight against Valdez. You know, when Hagler was down against Roldan, uh, neither one were really hurt in those fights, so they both had, you know, great chins. And um, it would be a case of who made the first mistake for the other one to capitalize on and who would be able to maintain that momentum because I really don't see either knocking the other one out. Um, I think it would just come down to a decision and whoever was able to whoever was in the best shape that night and whoever was able to throw the most punches and land the most punches is how that would turn down to because I really could not see either one knocking the other one out you know it's an interesting call because you know what I'm gonna say um, and the reason why and no disrespect to Hagler because I, I love Hagler but Carlos Monzon I think the advantage, I, I, and I agree with you 100%. Yeah, that size advantage. I was just, you just took the words out of my mouth because, you know, their style was so similar. Um, I, I just think, and, and I was going to use Tommy Hearns as an example because the, the um, immediate argument that somebody would give me is, well, Tommy Hearns was way bigger than Hagler, and look what he did to him. Um, but, but Tommy Hearns wasn't built like Monzon and didn't have the style like Monzon. It's almost like Hagler would be fighting himself, but a bigger version. And that's why I would lean towards Monzon. No, no I'm not discrediting Hagler um, at all. But, but to be honest with you, uh, all of these fighters would have given Hagler a, a tough go. Um, and, and Carlos Monzon, the way he, uh, the way he fought and, and his size and strength, would have been a tough out for the marvelous one.
Oh, I, I, I agree. I, and I'm not discounting. I'm just saying, you know, it's just they were both just so good at their at their peak, and because they were so uh, similar, and they had that mindset, and they both had such great jaws, it's really hard to choose. But if I, you know, if it came, if that fight actually happened, and you know, I had to put money on the line, you know, I would probably you know put my money on Monzon because Monzon again was a slightly better boxer, and um, you know, he was a little bit bigger, and Hagler could be outboxed. Um, you know, Tommy Hearns. I've always wondered what if Tommy Hearns would have been able to do like he did against Ray Leonard after he had opened up those cuts on Hagler early and then instead of um, willingly trade with him, you know, avoided some of that uh, continuous pressure of Hagler and opened up that cut a little bit wider. Maybe that fight would have been stopped on cuts. Um, look at the fight against Roberto Duran. You know, that was a very, um, even though Hagler won, that was a lot closer fight than a lot of people realize, uh, a lot of people thought it was going to be because Roberto Duran was such a superior boxer. And we've seen, you know, Hagler, you know, um, of course, we've seen the problems that he had with Ray Leonard. So, you know, in, in terms of the size and in terms of uh, that aspect and, you know, being a slightly better boxer, I guess, yeah, I would, uh, you know, definitely go towards Monzon slightly. Not not definitely, but just slightly. Well, Monzon, uh, his career, 87 wins, three losses, nine draws with a with a no contest. Uh, now we bring in Harry Greb, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh windmill, uh, a great fighter in, in his own right. Uh, 262 wins, 17 losses, 18 draws, and a and a uh, no contest. Um, you know this guy it wasn't as big. How do you see him going? I mean, you know, almost 300 fights, and, and he was still, even though he retired and then came back, he was still fighting at 32 years old when he passed away. Um, Greb, there's a guy that um, James Dominguez and Kelly Pavlik and few other people in that uh, little circle uh, you know we all make fun of where these fans they see this really you know choppy old footage of Greb and some of these old timers swear that Harry Greb was the greatest middleweight of all time you know Harry Greb and Stanley Ketchup both um, uh, did well against the heavyweight champion um Greb was a slick boxer, but he wasn't as slick as Ray Leonard. Um, he was ring savvy, but he wasn't Roberto Duran ring savvy, and he locked power. Um, in fact, his early fights at that division, he often complained that it was hard for him to maintain the middleweight limit. Remember, this is back when there was only eight weight divisions and not 16. You know, so a lot of times he was very much smaller. There was actually a couple fights where he was outweighed by, you know, 15 to 20 pounds. Also, um, that with Greb, he was not really physically durable. There were a lot of fights he was injured in. Um, one, his arm was actually broken early on by an opponent. You know, so Greb actually, you know, his his ideal walk-around weight was in the 140s. Unlike today, where a 160-pound middleweight walks around at 175 pounds. So I really don't see him fending off a Marvin Hagler, you know, who's coming straight at him, looking to knock him out. Well, and the other the other part about Harry Greb was that he was blind in one eye. Um, you know, he, he fought a, a lot of the the latter part of his career basically blind. Um, you know, in in one eye, which you know you know as well as anyone, you, you need both eyes in that ring. You know, to 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 see punches coming. Um, the volume now, of punch. A question about Greb, you know, that you mentioned that, and just uh, bringing up. The division and that, you know, Greb 
in uh, himself, you know, you, you find different articles where he stated, you know, he would have been more comfortable fighting at welterweight. To your knowledge, is there any reason why he really didn't have a career at welterweight? Because uh, there were plenty of opponents. Did Greb just not have the right management? Was there something that he did at some point in time where, you know, he was blackballed from fighting certain people, uh, you, you, you know, which was very common back then? Well, I, I think, first of all, the weights, the weight classes weren't looked upon the way they are now. Is You were able to go and fight bigger guys and nobody questioned it. I think that there was more money in it for them to do that versus, um, versus going down. I think that he liked to not have to struggle making weight from based on, uh, based on the book uh, by Bill Paxton. Um, you know, he, he, he walked around almost at the same weight as he stepped in the ring at, you know, That's so what I'm saying he, he was, you know, he wasn't, um, Unlike today, you know, he didn't really cut a lot of weight, and you know that's why he would say that um, he never really felt like the bigger guy or the stronger or more um, more dominant guy physically at middleweight, and his his KO record more or less kind of you know backs up that that statement. Well, he was a guy that just was a. I mean, he didn't get his nickname because he wasn't throwing lots of punches. He would maul his opponents. It was a different style fighter. Um, there were different, all of them were different style fighters in that era. I just think he was a tough guy that uh, that fought a lot. I mean, the guy almost had 300 fights in his career, you know, and, and, and he passed away at 32, you know. So, I mean, uh, um, by today's standards, there's heavyweights that are, you know, got un under, under 10 fights at 32 now. So, yeah. so well, um, remember, back then, even uh, for these younger guys, Go back and look at Rocky One, the original Rocky, and where he was only thirty years old, and he was already considered washed up. So right, they called anybody to hit thirty. They were like old timers, you know. Yeah, you were an old man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, five foot eight. Uh, so so fighting Hagler, it would have been an interesting fight because of the volume of punches. And I wondered, you know, when I I picture this fight in my mind, Dax. And I see Harry Greb throwing lots of punches, but Hagler used to. And and you brought up the Tommy Hearns fight earlier. Um, that's the fight. They it, it, Hearns comes out. He's throwing uh, volume punches. Well, Hagler matched it and was throwing volume punches. The only fight that I recall Marvin Hagler fighting where he didn't really assert himself as much as he probably should have was the Sugar Ray Leonard fight. But again, he was fighting based on what his opponent was doing. And I think it would have been interesting to see Hagler fighting Greb because would we have seen the volume, could Marvin have kept up with the volume that Harry Greb would have thrown at him? And if so, would he have tired? I don't recall Marvin Hagler ever getting tired in a fight. I really don't. I'm sure he did, but I never saw it, and Harry Greb didn't. You know, so it would have been interesting to see if, if Harry Greb would have handled the power of Hagler uh, and could Hagler have handled the volume uh, of punches from Harry Greb. I, 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 would have, I would think that this fight would have been a brutal fight and I think it would have gone the distance. And uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if this fight ended up as a draw, to be honest with you, um, because I, I think Hagler would have tried to match the punch output of Greb, uh, he would have stunned Greb a few times, um, but Greb would have kept kept coming. I 
I don't know. I, I'm I'm waiting to see what Alex says with with title bout, but uh, but I don't and, know. And, and Greb, you know, just like Hagler and just like Monzone, up until he you know he he reaches his prime, his biggest. You know his his biggest disasters. You know his losses where he was stopped. I think he was only stopped three times in, you know, those hundred and some fights that happened early on, and they were against bigger guys. So you know, Greb had you know quite the chin. So, but you know, was he would he have been able to stand there and trade with Marvin Hagler? Uh, you know, Greb was able to get away with a lot of those that volume punching because a lot of his opponents, not that they weren't good, and again, you know, he did fight uh, Gene Fulmer, but you know, the point is that a lot of those guys certainly didn't have the skill set that Marvin Hagler had in terms of defense and you know and offense. Yeah, but the vo- you know, I, I mean, the volume that he would throw at you. Would would make you go into uh, a a defense mode? You know what I mean? I mean, oh, absolutely, yeah. Joe Calzaki. Look at Joe Calzaki, a guy who's never known for his uh, his knockout power, really. But you know, Joe Calzaki did the same thing to a lot of guys just due to that sheer value. I mean, you look at who he fought. I mean, uh, Tony Morallo, uh, um, uh, Maxi Rosenblum. He fought. Um, you know, uh, Johnny Wilson, Gene Tunney. Uh, I mean, the list goes, Tiger Flowers was his, was his uh, two losses. He lost very close fights with him. As a matter of fact, he was training for a third fight uh, when he, he passed away. Uh, you, 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 I, I can't believe you just brought up Maxi Rosenblum. Um, I just, I have a friend of mine whose father passed away not too long ago, and he had been a boxing fan dating back, you know, to the 20s, and he had created this scrapbook from over the years of these newspaper articles including ones that Jack Dempsey had written and he put them in this this scrapbook and, and I get it and the pages were so old that they were actually crumbling but uh, as I'm looking through it one of the articles in there says that um, uh, Max uh, Maxi was not so slapsy tonight against Greb oh, hey. <laughs> slapsy Maxi he, he also uh, another fighter uh, that, that he fought uh, aside from you, you said Gene Fulmer, I think you meant Gene Tunney because there were there was some, I'm sorry, they, 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 there yes, was some famous yes. fights against Tunney. But Mickey Walker, he beat Mickey Walker in a unanimous decision. So uh, th- this is a guy that that was in there with bigger fighters. There's no question about it. Um, Would have been interesting to see him uh, with Hagler. And, and finally, Stanley Ketchell. Stanley Ketchell is a, you know, obviously the era that he fought in was was you know. Uh, Early 1900s, Jack Johnson era. He fought Jack Johnson. 49 wins, five losses, three law, uh, three draws. Um, five foot nine, similar size to Hagler. Um, but he died at 24 years old uh, with, with uh, you know, almost 60 fights. Um, you know, this was a guy, I, I, you know, the thing about Stanley Ketchell, Dax, is it's hard to, to really, I mean, everybody said how great he was. Uh, we can only go by by uh, 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 write-ups on him. Very few, uh, very uh, limited footage on him. Um, you know, the, the 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 thing about him is it, it would have been so interesting to see how his career would have unfolded. I mean, almost 60 fights at 24 years old. You know, one of them being a loss to Jack Johnson, where we all heard the rumors where, uh, you know, Jack Johnson uh, ended up with his tooth buried uh, with uh, Stanley Ketchell's tooth buried in his glove. Um, you know, he he rocked 
uh, uh, Jack Johnson, and then that was the end of it. Uh, it. Many people say that that was a fight that wasn't supposed to be as serious as Ketchell took it, but he had that that mean streak in him, and you've talked about that uh, a lot uh, with some of the current fighters that, that have a mean streak in him, like a Lomachenko has that mean streak in him while he's in the ring. Well, Stanley Ketchell did too. Um, how would you have seen that fight go? Um, Ketchell and Johnson were actually friends, and you're right. It wasn't supposed to go that way. It was supposed to be more of an exhibition for both of them. Um, and he actually, you know, when he dropped Johnson, you know, Johnson gets up and he comes back with a uh, combination of his own and just drop and uh, stops the fight uh, not too long after. But that just tells you how hard that Ketchell hit, the fact that he was able to drop Jack Jack Johnson, heavyweight champion at the time. And he had already by then beaten multiple Hall of Famers. Um, I think his only loss at the time of the uh, Johnson fight was to Joe Jeanette by DQ, which he had later avenged. Um, you know, Ketchell, I think all but three of his wins were by knockout. He was He's credited for being the first fighter who was a switch hitter. Um, and not only just a switch hitter, but, you know, according to what I've read in, you know, multiple different outlets over the years is that Ketchum was able to actually switch stances mid-combination. And that made it almost impossible for a lot of these cruder fighters of the day to deal with. Now, I can only imagine what, you know, if Ketchum was take his power and that ability... What would have, you know, go ahead 75, 80 years and have an Andrew Dundee or Mandy Stewart working with him, uh, developing a strategy and then, you know, putting in some sort of, you know, an amateur career behind him? You know, how good could Stanley Ketchum, you know, possibly be? Of course, it's just, you know, a speculation as fans, you know, we love to uh, imagine such things. But, um, you know, Marvin Hagler who was considered, and I stated this last week, you know, sometimes he was considered actually the king of the four kings. Uh, you know, he um, he fought the very elite in an era that many considered the most elite era in boxing, period. And as for power, I'm pretty sure that John Mugabe, Tommy Hearns, and Benny Briscoe were most likely comparable to the power of Ketchell. So, um, other than... The fact that Hagler, as I stated before, he has shown to have a problem with fighters who not only could punch, but they could box. I believe that, you know, Hagler would beat Ketchell after some rough moments and, you know, being caught off guard and being surprised that this guy can, you know, box that well and he hits as hard as he did. You know, it's, it's, this is a matchup that, to be honest with you, is the best one of, of all three. Um, and, and I say that because their records are so similar when you look at the percentages and the numbers. 78% um, knockout uh, ratio for both fighters, 77.97 for Ketchell and 77.61 for, for Hagler. Um, the thing that stands out to me uh, with Ketchell, the error. Uh, makes a, a big difference. When you look at those guys on the record, and, and there's a lot of them, uh, like you mentioned, Hall of Famers. I mean, Philadelphia Jack O'Brien fought, and Billy Papke, they, they fought him multiple times. Sam Lankford, the late, great Sam Lankford, uh, you know, losing to, excuse me, a newspaper decision. Now, for, for the fans out there that don't know what that is, um, many states, boxing was illegal. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't render a decision, but the newspapers would score a fight. 
and they would put um, you know who they thought would win. Now, now there's an asterisk next to that because if you punch up a fighter's name on BoxRec, what BoxRec did was they would go and take the major newspapers that reported the fight and took their decisions and averaged them out to put who won or lost the newspaper decision. So that's what you see in, in BoxRec when you punch up the, the record. If there's a loss by a newspaper decision, well, that's because there were more uh, newspaper reporters that scored it that way than ones that scored it the opposite way, which I don't know is that accurate when you think about it, Dax, because a hometown or, or close to hometown reporter is always going to sway uh, and lean towards their guy. So it was unfortunate that there were so Modern many of those. judges do the same thing, so yeah. why should they? Well, they, 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 they're worse. <laughs> they're worse. But when I look at this fight uh, between Hagler and, and Stanley Ketchell, you know, I, I, I really, again, similar to, to Greb, I, I don't know if I could put uh, a, a win on, the, on either one of their records. I think Stanley Ketchell, um, you know, might have been, you bring up an interesting point about the era and about the training techniques. I think that that would have benefited uh, Hagler. Um, but uh, very similar. I I don't know. I mean, who do you, who would you pick to have won? Like I said, because of the fact that Hagler fought in an era where fighters were more advanced, their styles weren't as crude, um, and I um you know I would think that, and it's hard to you know fathom that you know any other middleweight outside of maybe Golovkin hit harder than. Briscoe hit harder than Hearns, hit harder than um, any any of those other um, John Mugabe or any or any of those guys. So um, you know, I would edge it to uh, Hagler. But like I was stating, you know, I would just I wonder exactly, you know, if he was able to fight in a later era and have trainers that you know were able to develop his natural skill sets. Along, you know, his natural uh, abilities in terms of power and being able to um, switch stances like that mid-combination, you know, then it might be a different story. But, you know, as of right now, you'd have to go with uh, Hagler. But oddly enough, Marvin Hagler, out of that group, he's the only one that didn't die a tragic, sad death. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's sad, you know, don't give me a, yes, Marvin died, you know, it's sad that Marvin died, but I'm talking about, you know, uh, Grebby dies on the operating table um, after a car accident, you know, he had the glass eye, and um, Stanley Ketcher was shot by um, a guy on the farm that was jealous over a girl, and as we stated before, um, Carlos Manzone dies on his way back to prison after being out on furlough for good behavior. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, the the uh, the Stanley Ketchell story is is crazy with the him having the affair with the wife. The husband comes back, shoots him. They plan it. It was like they were trying to rob him. They rifle through his clothes. She ends up turning on him. Uh, he ends up coming back. They both serve their time and get out. The the, the uh, husband and wife, and he ends up delivering, becoming an oil truck deliverer. And ends up delivering oil to that same house uh, years later, which is, I, talk about strange. Well, he, he died at 24, you know, so he, he wasn't that old when he died. No, I know. I'm talking about the guy who shot him. Oh, oh, the guy who shot the him. Guy oh, okay. who, the guy who shot him up. served his time, right, for, for, for the murder. 
Oh, and, and then he became an oil And then okay, he became an oil right. truck driver, and he's delivering oil to the same place, to the same farm and stuff, which is pretty ironic. But uh, um, now, when Alex gets on, just go back to, to Greb for a minute. Um, didn't Greb fight a, 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 and um, win a large portion of his career um, with, with um, problems in one eye where he, he didn't see very well at all? That's what or I was he, telling. Or was, or was he totally blind in the eye? He went blind. His eye was, was – he claims that the eye – was injured with a, you know, remember, they had thumbs in the gloves, you know, he, he, he claimed, and he did have some, some surgeries to correct the eye, that's the guy who was literally blind in the eye and begged, uh, he used to fake the eye examinations, he eventually had the eye removed and was wearing a glass eye, um, so, I mean, this was a guy that, that was literally blind in one eye when he was fighting, not as bad as Sam Langford, who was literally blind in his corner. He's going, I can't see my opponent. Just direct me. Just point me in the right direction. And would go after. And, and incidentally, Ketchel fought Langford. And a lot of it, the Hall of Famers that he fought. I, again, you know, we're picking these guys that are extremely hard to really pick a winner. Um, I, 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 again, the, the, the freakness of, of Stanley Ketchel and the fact that he was 24 years old, you know, putting up against Hagler, I, Again, I you know, I, I'm gonna wimp out here, and and, and I'm gonna I, I can't pick a winner. You know, um, I'm gonna lean on Alex with the with title bout, but um, and I want to lean towards Marvin Hagler in this fight uh, because of exactly what you brought up uh, with the uh, technology and the improved uh, training techniques. But then again, Hagler trained the old way. You know, he was the guy chopping wood and running in work boots. You know, so. Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's not the training. Not the training. I'm talking about the uh, the delivery method of punches and so on. No, no, I I got gotcha. you. Not the training in terms of cardio. No, no, but, but uh, you, you know how um, you mean and, the train. You, know, you mean by how fighters learned how you know you pivot a little bit more. You know, move more. You know, move their head a little more. And, right. You're and referring. Like you're referring more to the trainers and the technique. And, yeah, that's why I mentioned. You know, if he was with somebody like an Angelo Dundee or a uh, a Manny Stewart, you know, who was able to take his natural abilities. You know, imagine what uh, what type of fighter he would have been if he had such advantages. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm with you. Interesting. Well, I'm going to uh, see what uh, Title Bat has to say, and uh, uh, I'm glad uh, you joined us and gave us your thoughts. And we'll be looking forward to that. Uh, same stuff next week. I'm sure we'll find uh, something to talk about next week, you think? Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of things. You know, boxing is, you know, starting to roll well right now. Um, the the Nationals are actually going on down in Louisiana. So, you know, USA Boxing. So, you know, that's a good sign that USA Boxing is back. So, boxing around the whole world and uh, live attendance gates down in Texas. Give it another month or two and we should be, you know, rolling full load. Well, we got some fights uh, on tap next week. Um, you know, Derek Chisora is fighting Joseph Parker. Love that fight. Dimitri- I love, how do you not love Derek Chisora? No, and then and then uh, Bivol. We were talking about him last week. He's on that card. Uh, he's not, in my opinion, not in a, a barn burner fight, but he's got to fight somebody. He's fighting Craig Richards, and then uh, uh, or Sandy Lara is taking on Thomas Lamana. Which shocks me that that's for the vacant title. No disrespect to Lamana, but uh, Cornflake, uh, I don't know if he deserves to be in the same ring with Lyra, but it is the WBA. Um, and, you know, you have those fights, uh, the zone and, and Fox. 
And I, I, one last thing I want to ask you, what, who, who made the decision to make Andy Ruiz and Chris Ariola a pay-per-view? Is this a failed fight, 100%? Because, I mean, Andy Ruiz, I mean, come on. We all loved him, especially when he beat Anthony Joshua. He's the smiling guy. He's that, that, that overweight fighter that, you know, has hand speed. That's unbelievable. And he's fighting Chris Ariola, the, the perennial tough guy who also can't keep away from uh, food. He's made it very uh, clear that uh, a taco, there's no safe taco stand when, when he's around. Um, and then they're putting this on pay-per-view, and they're going up against a, a, a Lara fight. Uh, granted, he's not exactly a, a, an exciting fighter, but Derek Chizora and Joseph Parker uh, and the return of Bivol, that's going to be a tough one for, for them to uh, make out financially on that fight. Yeah, I don't know um, who made that decision. And um, who who's who's carrying that? What? The pay-per-view. The, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I know is, it's is a, it like on a streaming that's on, is it on a streaming service or it's like I don't on think a cable it, network? I, right? I think it's gonna be on a cable network. I, I think it's gonna be like an in demand uh, type uh, pay per view. I, I mean if it was a streaming service it, no matter what it is, it's it, it's a tough fight. If it was on regular TV or very easy to watch, I, I could see them uh, because you could always rewatch the zone. Um, and I could see people actually picking that fight over the Lara fight only because Lara is known for not being too exciting. And both uh, Ruiz and Chris Ariola are. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough competition that they're up yeah, against for viewers. Yeah, I'm just saying the streaming service because, you know, sometimes, um, depending on which one, uh, you can get a uh, membership even for a month for four ninety five. You know, not not 70, not, not even, you know, not 10, not 20, not 30. I mean, for four ninety five, I can see a lot of people, you know, actually watching it. Um, uh, the only thing, um, and I had this conversation yesterday with somebody, uh, just to close out, about Andy Ruiz Jr., no matter what Andy Ruiz Jr. does, he's never going to be able to make like the cruiserweight limit. He's never going to be a guy that has a body that you are jealous of. But Andy Ruiz Jr., when he's in shape, don't take the rematch against Anthony Joshua because Andy Ruiz Jr. just was living up and still celebrating, I think, the night before the fight, you know, the win from the first time out. But when Andy Ruiz Jr. is in shape, and considering how good of an amateur fighter he was, Andy Ruiz Jr. is a problem for anybody. So I actually think um, Chris Ariola is going to be easy work for him. Chris, Chris Ariola has always been a tough guy. I've always not, loved... I mean, not now. I mean, this is a very shop-worn Chris Ariola. No, 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 I know. And and I've always loved Chris Ariola. Um, but... Uh... But, but he's a gatekeeper now, and this is, uh, he should, I mean, to be honest with you, um, Andy Ruiz, this should be a, uh, a showcase fight for him because if it's not, then we'll never see Andy Ruiz at the form uh, that he was when he beat AJ. Oddly enough, Chris Ariola was kind of Andy Ruiz before Andy Ruiz in terms of the excitement and the build, and, you know, just, just Andy Ruiz is just a better technical fighter, but if you understand what I'm saying, Chris Ariola never was, a, you know, a hard body. He was never a um, a guy where you'd look at and be like, you know, I want to be built just like he is, but Chris Ariola, when, as you stated, he was always exciting, so. There's no question about that. All right, my man, thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to you next week. All right, everybody, enjoy the rest of your day. That's Dax Khan. You can check him out on our website. He's the guy that uh, uh, keeps that uh, alive and well. So um, in any event, 
yeah, interesting stuff uh, for sure uh, with uh, with this discussion on who would have uh, uh, won should we have fought. And speaking of winning, uh, make sure that you get yourself. You know, I, my man uh, Kenny was in, in the chat room before. Uh, make sure you get yourself uh, a bottle of the Kenny Bear's uh, barbecue rub. It is second to none. It, uh, I tell you, you could put it on anything. I like it on pizza. Okay, okay. So, so you can go ahead with the jokes. Uh, yeah, Italian eating pizza. Surprise, surprise. I got, I got you. But uh, uh, trust me when I tell you, uh, it's good on anything. But like I admitted to Kenny in the chat room, my new favorite right now uh, is the uh, uh, the the new blackened uh, seasoning that he's got. Man, I, I had it last night. I had it last night, and I shit you not. I had I made this gigantic hamburger, and I and I put it on that, and man, it, it was good. His uh, all-purpose uh, salt is really good as well. Uh, but uh, whatever you do, get something. Visit gourmet southerngourmetspice.com. That's southerngourmetspice.com, and make sure you tell them Billy C sent you. Demand a Billy C uh, discount. But uh, joining us right now. Uh, is my man, Alex Papali. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Billy. How are you? Good. Y'all, y'all, you're still in your feety pajamas? Did you get a good night's sleep? I mean, uh, you know, bragging that you're up till 10 o'clock every night? Come on, man. You know, I'm already waking up. I'm, I'm waking up. I'm, I'm, my morning is starting at 10 o'clock already, you know? So, uh, uh, I know, bra- you're like a, a whole day ahead of everybody. I don't know what it is. I should be living in Europe, but... Uh, uh, yeah. You know, it's like you you live in Gibraltar. Yeah, all the time. exactly. That's right. Gibraltar's my. I'm on their time. Uh, I love the. I love that that fight. I loved. I like the car. I, you know, DAZN is really. They've kicked it up a notch. I mean, I don't see any other network really competing with them. And no, they're not paying me to say that. It's just. It is what it is. But uh, interesting topics today. Uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler going against uh, the three names that we kept bringing up. Now, just so you know, and I've been mentioning this during the show, I'm not including uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. I think he's in a class by himself. Um, And ironically enough, BoxRec, excuse me, has uh, Sugar Ray Robinson as a middleweight, ranked number one. And and the rest of the rankings kind of surprised me. Number two is B-Hop. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Bernard Hopkins, but I'm not so sure we, we could put him in the conversation with a haggler being, and, and, and well, let, let me read the top 10. Um, Sugar Ray Robinson, Bernard Hopkins at number two, Harry Greb, who we're going to talk about at number three, Triple G at number four, who does not belong in this list. No one loves Triple G more than me, but he doesn't belong in this list. Randy Turpin is at number five. I, I got to believe the main reason is because of the win over Sugar Ray Robinson. Hagler's at number six. Marcel Thill, which is a, a forgotten heavyweight, 106 wins, 20 losses, 10 draws, uh, fought uh, in the 20s and early 30s. He's at number seven. Monzone at number eight. A guy we should have included in this, Charlie Burley at number nine, and Nino Benvenuti at, at number 10. Um, so those are your top 10 fighters. Stanley Ketchell, uh, isn't in the discussion all the way until, well, Mickey Walker's at number five. Um, ah, wait a minute. Do I do I see? I didn't even look at this um, until just now. Do you know? Do you know that 
they don't even have Stanley Ketchel in the top 25? Yeah, I don't really know how BoxRec does their all-time greats. Um, By a point I, system. It's a point system that they they have come up with. So apparently some of the opponents, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but some of the opponents that he faced, I guess, don't count. You know, some of those no-namers like Philadelphia Jack O'Brien, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Sam Lankford, Billy Papke, uh, you know. Right. Uh, so I, maybe it was the the era um, of um, you know newspaper decisions, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, and for to have um, Hopkins and Triple G that high makes me think that it's sort of uh, modern fa favors the modern guys. However, Marcel Teal for him to be that high that's a little weird over because um, e even Mickey Walker. Um, yeah, I mean I I. If you go by Ibro's latest all-time rating poll, which I was part of and was finished in, on September 30th, 2019, the way they have it is Greb number one, Ray Robinson second. See, I, I disagree with that. My vote actually had Ray Robinson first because I think Ray Robinson would outbox Greb. Um, but uh, if Greb made it into a firefight, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the thing that these guys are uh, unbelievable fighters. So what what separates them is probably not much. But uh, Ibro has Greb, Ray Robinson, Carlos Monzon, Hagler at four, then Mickey Walker at five, then Stanley Ketchell at six, then Bob Fitzsimmons, then Bernard Hopkins, then Charlie Burley and 10th Marcel Serdan. So, yeah, um, I, I, I kind of like that. I definitely like that uh, all-time greatest list better than box wrecks. But the guy, I, the guy I just was trying to run, I'm not sure if it finished, was Mickey Walker, even though we didn't talk. Yeah, I did finish that. Wow, see? And all three, well, we'll, we'll get to that. But all three of these guys, um, are they all finish similarly because we are talking about greats fighting greats. Well, Mickey Walker, I, yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and the only explanation I'll tell you about Ibro is that Ray Robinson is more regarded as the best welterweight that ever laced on a pair of gloves. The problem is, is there's no footage. There's no, you know, there's a lot of that uh, era when Ray Robinson was fighting as a welterweight that we just don't have. So a lot of uh, people refer to him as a middleweight, but he was really a welterweight, you know, and, and, and re retired and came back as a middleweight. Uh, middleweight. He, he, you know, he was similar to Sugar Ray Leonard in terms of, uh, you know, coming back and, and everything else. And speaking of Leonard, Leonard's not on this list either. You know, yeah. Mike, Michael uh, Lunn is... Same uh, deal at welterweight he is. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying on the on the, uh, on the the list for um, box rec. Oh, box rec? Oh, yeah. wow, that is weird. Yeah, he's not even on, on the list. You know, Emil Griffith is ahead of Fulmer. Jermaine Taylor is ahead of Tony Zale. You know, Michael Nunn is up there. Michael, But the one that really gets me... As you mentioned, Mickey Walker, they have Kelly Pavlik ahead of him. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I don't know how they're doing the points, but yeah, that that's just that doesn't. And they have Fred Ospitali at number fifteen. He was more of a light heavyweight, wasn't he? Uh, I thought he was lighter, um, but uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean that those are those are strange. Anyway, uh, anyway, we can uh, box wreck is box wreck, but. Alex Papali and title bout is Alex Papali and title bout. So 
let's go with uh, well, let's go with Stanley Ketchell first. I did him last. Um, you know, I I've I, I kind of wimped out, Alex. I I was not able to pick a, a winner between Stanley Ketchell and and the marvelous one. And no disrespect to Marvin Hagler, um, but Stanley Ketchell, they were very similar in size and stature and everything else. And a comment that I made, I don't know if you were listening, and I, I think that the thing about Marvin is he fought as much as you gave him. So if you were throwing punches nonstop at him, he would be throwing punches nonstop at you. And it would be interesting to have seen the Harry Greb fight with those two. Who would have succumbed, you know, Um all of these fighters, with the exception of Monzon, because he was in an era that was more structured, fought bigger guys on a regular basis for paychecks, and Stanley Ketchell was one of them. How did uh, title bout see it? Well, first, before you tell me that, how do, how do you feel it would have went? I think um, all of these matches would be, you know, must-see bouts. Uh, these are really, uh, you know, Titan versus Titan type matches. Um, and I think the thing about them is the only, uh, if we're talking, the way I put them in, the way you could set things in title bout is, um, you know, these are all, uh, all, all guys that are rated at middleweight, um, uh, mostly cause you know, that's one of the things you could do for like somebody like Mickey Walker, you could change it, you know, for, if you want to make him as a welterweight, whatever, but all these guys, their primary listing is middles, um, so uh, that's where they're strongest, and most of them, that's where they did most, much of their fighting. A couple of them, like Ketchell, uh, could, uh, could hit uh, and slug with bigger men. Um, Ketchell, one of his best fights, I was going over his record again, um, and he fought a, um, I think it was a six-rounder with uh, um, Sam Lankford. Uh, that must have been an absolute scorcher of a fight. And yeah. uh, it's a no decision. Newspaper, yeah. Yeah, so you'd have to go and read about, you know, what it was like. Um, but, uh, you know, it's considered a draw. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, that's could arguably one of the best fighters there ever was. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Stan, all of these guys were um, could do everything. But... The thing that's interesting about them is that they were all kind of similar. Well, some of them were similar, almost identical in height. And I think Greb and Hagler are the two that match up the most identically. Um, Monzon's the tallest at 5'11", at like 5'11 and a half. Ketchell is um, 5'9", just like Marvin. But Ketchell could buy, um, I don't know, maybe you could argue that Ketchell was a little faster now, one thing I did in this game is you could set the rounds and you could set the rules. I use the modern rules in the sense that I use 12 rounders. Um, if any uh, listeners have a problem with that, go ahead and um, send us an email and I could run them with 15 rounders. Um, Considering Ketchell was uh, in 20-round uh, uh, fights on a regular basis and also um, you know, only win by knockout, uh, type fights. He he was very close to 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 uh, Hagler. I mean, they had this almost identical records in terms of total fights. Um, they almost they were identical in their knockout ratios at seventy eight percent. You know, size. I, 
you know, both of them were, were very, very similar. The, the big difference with Hagler, even though, and Dax brought up a great point, even though he trained the old style, he was trained by um, fighter uh, trainers that knew more about the evolution of the sport, whereas Stanley Ketchell did not have that. Plus, Stanley Ketchell only lived to 24 years old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of those. Um, his story is a great story. It's one of those things like, you know, you're talking about guys in that era um, that have stories that would make for great uh, HBO series. And uh, I think it's Herb Goldman. I remember in one of the I think it's the Unforgivable, Unforgivable Blackness documentary where he mentions how uh, Stanley Ketchell died after being shot in the back by the estranged husband of the woman who was cooking him breakfast. Yeah. Uh, and that's just such, such, it's like, wow, I want to know more of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but th that story didn't end there. I was talking about, I mean, first of all, she lied. It was almost like a setup. They rifled through his pockets. They, they were robbing him. They thought he had all this money on him, and he didn't. He had like 20 bucks on him or something like that. And, um, uh, you know, they she lied at the at the trial, then came clean. They both did time. And then ironically enough, they both were freed. They, they ended up being out living, a, you know, living a life uh, of freedom. And he became an, a, an oil truck driver who would deliver oil regularly to the same house that he shot Stanley Ketchell in. I mean, you're right. That would make a great story. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch that, you know? And and by the way, was it scrambled eggs or fried eggs? What, what, what kind of eggs was he eating, you know? I think it was hash browns. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some of that Kenny Bears on it. Yeah, uh, hey, that would have hey, that would have changed everything. If he would have put some of the Kenny Bears on there, uh, maybe maybe they would have offered the estranged husband uh, some, and, and he would have said, you know what, you know, after eating this, maybe I don't need to shoot nobody. You know, that's right. But see, that's the thing that uh, we do. We never saw Marvin Hagler move up to um, light heavyweight, which is something I always would have been interested to see. It would have been interesting to see maybe. Hagler Hearns two at 175, um, but um, Stanley Ketchell was a guy who did get, go in there against the big men, and like you said, he even has scores a knockdown uh, against Jack Johnson that but Jack his, didn't like very much. But his weight wasn't the same. I right. mean, his weight didn't change. Yeah. With, he was like 169 with rocks in his pocket. Right, exactly. So he maintained it. It was a different era. You could fight anybody bigger at any time. You just couldn't go down lower. And you know what? I want to comment on the on your uh, 175, uh, Tommy Hearns and Hagler. You see, that's I'm shocked that you said that because that's what makes Hagler so great. Hagler, right. the last time I saw him, I bet you he weighed 160 pounds. You know, you know what I mean. I mean, this guy was a middleweight through and through. I, he never had problems making weight or or anything like that. I mean, he stayed in the same shape that he fought in uh, until his last day uh, on Earth. You know, and and well, I've always given him credit for that. No, you're absolutely right, and I think that there is some, there is that sort of. That's one of the things that makes him such a gladiator and a disciplined fighter, as he stayed in one cl weight class. Not to say that guys who get move up, um, you know, are taking a shortcut or something, but you know, the body does get bigger and heavier, so it does become easy, uh, harder to make that weight. 
and so, you know, that's part of it. And Marvin never did that to his credit. Uh, and, and I know that does, sound, especially for a guy with Marvin on his arm, that's sacrilegious. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. What are you talking? Who is this? Mom, this Sunday. Kid. What am I doing? Yeah, I know. I mean, you're you're going to hell straight. You're going there first. But uh, <laughs> so, but yes, okay. So with Stanley Ketchel, so I put these guys in there for twelve rounders, and yeah, like you and Dax were mentioning, the modern era, you can't help it. Um, nutrition was better, the consistency, um, and that idea that just like we didn't know smoking was bad for you. Uh, the era that Ketchel in the you know because we're talking like nineteen ten when Ketchel was fighting. So yes, there's very different things. Um, that happened compared to a guy's health and uh, just physical well-being. So you would think that the modern guys do have an advantage in that sense. Um, however, um, and when you listen to the results, maybe this game thinks so too. Uh, so when they fight the first time, this is Marvelous Marvin Hagler versus Stanley Ketchell. Um, Hagler wins by 12th round TKO stops him with 47 at 47 seconds of the 12th uh it's a fight that um was very busy the total punch that had uh, marvelous marvin Hagler throwing 728 and landing 315 um ketchell was busier uh throwing 849 but missing a lot more landing only 251 and uh, that was the only knockdown was at the in the twelfth round when Hagler put him down, um, and uh, and he was he did ma- he did make it up, but the referee stopped it. Um, and that's the, that's one of the rules that I do set it because you could have it set by doctors can stop fight, referee can stop the fight in most states right now, and I believe it is the Association of Boxing uh, Commission rules that only the referee can start uh, stop the fight. However, as we've seen that many times, a doctor will say, hey, referee, I think you should stop the fight. Oh, okay, I'll stop the fight. So yeah. It kind of works that way. Right. Um, but that's one of the rules you could set it in the game and that um, you're never saved by the bell. Um, and that was something it, you, what you had mentioned about that Cheeseman stoppage. I noticed box rec, at least so far, there's no official time. It just says, uh, 11th round KO. Um, so if they announced it 310, they haven't posted it yet. I wonder if they're going to looking into that. It can't be right. Cause that, yeah, that's weird to me. I would, I don't think I've ever seen that either. Yes. I think you see like three minutes Right, they stop it at three minutes. They don't start tapping into the minute in between. You know, right. it happened right at the bell, and then the ten second count. So whatever, whoever reported. I mean, that's what's re- being reported on the websites. Three three minutes and ten seconds of the round, which is uh, not correct. It should just be three minutes. You know. Yeah, but, exactly. I, I think so because I think that's the thing where boxing is sort of in this, it, it, especially a knockdown, sort of exists outside of time because it's not seconds. First of all, it's the count. It's the referee's count. And in this case, it was almost, I think, the commentator, uh, who's that, Paul Smith, had a point that there was not even really a need for that count. There wasn't. He was down. It was over. There was no oh, need for that no, count. Oh, that fight was pretty amazing. I can't believe the amount of right hands he took. What was it, in the fourth round? Mama Mia. He was getting slammed. That was a really, really exciting fight, but I... The, the headache Metcalf must have today, Lord, Lord. Well, you know, he had his moments, and, and 
I tell you, you know, that that three minutes, 10 second uh, uh, reporter, it, it just goes to show you the lack of knowledge. I, I have a really good email I'm going to be reading later, but the lack of knowledge of the people involved with the sport. You know, that's why I love when somebody says, ah, you don't know boxing. They tell me, ah, you know, okay, maybe my opinion isn't the same, but I think I know boxing, you know? I, I mean, anyway. How, how, yeah, I think a lot of times what you will, will, will see is if there's a knockdown with like one second left in the round, the timekeeper will not ring the bell, the referee will do the count, finish the mandatory eight. If the fighter's okay, then when he cleans off the gloves and is about to wave, then the timekeeper rings it. So those eight seconds sort of existed nowhere. Exactly. Uh, in this sort of – they existed beyond the round. But, yeah, I've never seen someone count that as time. Because uh, even when somebody gets stopped inside uh, the rest period, uh, they usually score it for the last round completed, I believe. No, they um, if they if they if they quit on their stool in between rounds, it's it's the previous it's the new round, right? They, I think it's usually like say you don't come out for the fifth, it would say TKO by five, I think, or or fourth round TKO. Uh, that's a good uh, question. No, I think I think they I, you're not able to answer the bell. The round is over, so the fourth round is over. Now you're in between the beginning of the fifth round. So if you don't come out for the fifth round, it's a TKO at uh, you know zero zero of the fifth round. I'm pretty sure I could I could be wrong on that, but uh, but I'm not wrong on the on. You're right about the suspended time because it's not a 10 second count; it's a 10 count. But anyway, right. how did that's, this? Uh, that's where the whole uh, Mike Tyson Buster Douglas thing. Is he was there. robbed. He was robbed that fight. I'm telling you, he, was, he knocked out Don Douglas. King, that was Don King reaching for straws, you know. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> hey, you know, you know, just jumping back onto the box rack. You know who I was surprised wasn't in the top 25 as middleweights, and I know people are going to disagree with me because of his record if they punch him up now. But I ran Barkley. I, I ran Barkley was a middleweight that was a monster and during his era even though he, he wasn't there uh at the top that long and he, he's a, he became a journeyman or whatever he was a journeyman but i mean some of the vicious not i mean he was a monster he was carlos monzon size you know as a middleweight yeah, he's very big for a middleweight i and never could i could looked, I, I could yeah. never believe that he was only 160 pounds i mean he looked like a heavyweight in there you know Oh, and when you see him today, he's a big, formidable, formidable guy, even at his older age. Yeah, yeah. and I uh, shout out to him because um, you know how the kids give the shout out, Billy C. Yeah, uh, because I, I think he uh, just had a hard time with COVID nineteen, and I I think he's recuperating. Uh, the last I've seen on social media. Well, you're not going to keep him down, that's for sure. Right. But uh, all right, Stanley Ketchell, Marvin Hagler, the first fight, Hagler wins, TKO, twelve so round. Hagler wins, and then when they fight a hundred times, Hagler gets the best of them. Uh, he wins sixty of the fights. Uh, Ketchell wins twenty nine. They draw eleven times, and Hagler stops has twenty nine stoppages of Stanley Ketchell. Now, in Ketchell's twenty nine victories, twelve of them are by stoppage of Hagler. Now that when you get results like that, you don't know, you know, what those stoppages look like if they're full countouts. Because we're talking about, you know, uh, Hagelin never was knocked out. Uh, was knocked down once dubiously um, by Juan Domingo Roldan, 
who's somebody who did pass away from uh, COVID-19 um, this past year. Um, but okay, so that is the Ketchel. So we have Hagler uh, beating Ketchel. Beats Ketchel. Now versus Monzone. So like you said, Monzone, very big, formidable guy, can box. Um, his The only losses in his whole career came very, very early in his career. And then just dominant as a middleweight champion. Um, in fact, he was the one who had the record for a very long time of the most successful defenses. Um, and uh, he was, um, you know, very... He didn't get tired, threw lots and lots of punches, uh, could beat any style, could even like walk down and stop boxers uh, and, and movers. Um, and I think that's where I think that Hagler would have a little difficulty with him, only that if you had one knock on like a prime Marvin Hagler is that he did tire a bit. But we're talking in 15-round fights because, like, the first, that's the only reason you could maybe argue that there was, I think, um, Hagler should have gotten the first fight with Antiformo. Um, but that was a draw, and uh, one of the knocks on Marvin was that he tired a bit. He probably tired a little bit against Duran. Hey, um, two things, two things. Wait, let me... Da uh, what's his name? Monzone didn't. Alex, let me interrupt you. Two things. Dax is straightening me out here. He said it is counted like you suggested. If a fighter doesn't come out for the fifth round, he gets a, uh, a TKO RTD uh, of the fourth. So I appreciate that correction from our very own Dax Khan. And the other comment I want to make before you give the results is I'm shocked. I'm utterly shocked. I'm actually appalled that you wouldn't mention that Carlos Monzon's life shouldn't be a movie. I mean, come on. That's got every element in it. It's got the wildlife, the fast lane, the drugs, the alcohol, the women, the beatings of the women, the, 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 the murder, the, the death by a race car, racing back to the special treatment he got in jail doing his, his minimal time. Uh, he gets what, 11 years for, for murder, you know. So, I mean, come on. Tell me that's not a Hollywood movie. And he was Mr. Hollywood. That's what that's what really caused him to go down that path. He loved the limelight. He loved it. Yeah, yes, a very strikingly handsome guy who you know was just a nasty person, um, uh, especially like you said, his relationship with women um, and um, violent man outside of the ring, which is very um, as much as you know that's sort of a stereotype about boxers. Uh, as we we know, um, there's uh, just like there's all kinds of different people. There's all different kinds of boxers. Hey, too. he picked women that would just like him. She shot him twice in the arm, once in the arm and once in the shoulder. So, I mean, you know. Well, and I think hasn't there been a um, a movie or a Netflix series? I think Dax was mentioning that. I, I haven't seen it, but um, I heard there was um, something on uh um, Netflix about Monzone, or maybe it was Showtime that did it. I, I don't recall, but I would love to see it. And I'll tell you, did, did you know that <laughs> we're jumping all over the place, but that's the basis of this show. Do you know that there was uh, a comic book series and followed by a cartoon series on Jack Johnson? Did you know that? Really? Yeah. More no, modern. I it came out uh, probably six, seven years ago. Wow. Yeah, awesome. like like some crazy stuff. I, I had a couple of issues, uh, or preliminarily, 
Uh, oh, I got to see that. Yeah, I, I have um, I have the children's book um, that was about Jack Johnson. That's pretty good. No, this uh, was this made him like a superhero. I oh, mean, wow. oh yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was it, it was good. I, I I'll, I'll I'll dig up the info, but uh, all right. How did how did the Monzone fight with uh, marvelous uh, Hagler? Okay, so now, um, like you had mentioned, like you and Dax mentioned, uh, the idea that somebody's tall than Marvin, it didn't matter with Tommy Hearns. Um, however, the computer makes it seem as if um, uh, it was more of a boxing match. And Hagler just plain made him miss more. Uh, Hagler wins, unanimous decision. Um, the scores are 117, 113. Hagler, one sixteen, one fifteen. Hagler, and only one judge had it, one eighteen, one thirteen for Monzone, and that even includes Hagler going down in the being getting put down in the fourth. But it must have been so brief that one judge actually, or the judge, you know, you can't have um, a great great battle, great without a little controversy. Um, and one judge actually scored that round 10-9 um, for Monzone, even though Hagler was down. So uh, it, it didn't matter. Hagler still wins a split decision. Um, and then when they fight 100 times, Hagler gets the better again. 57 victories for Mar Marvelous Marvin, 21 wins for Carlos Monzone. They draw 22 times. So even the computer's like, I don't know. Uh, these guys are so good. <laughs> and then Hagler does stop him 13 times uh, of his 57 wins. And in Monzone's 21 victories, he scored three KOs um, of Marvelous Marvin. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is the computer. I, I don't know. I think these results, I don't think they're I, I like them because I think that's the thing about these. Uh, the chins of these guys that we're putting in here, um, it makes sense. And by accident, when I ran, I, I meant to, I didn't get the stats on it yet, but uh, I put Mickey Walker in there against Hagler for 100 times. And by accident, I clicked Michael Walker. And when I uh, looked at the results, it was 97 victories for Hagler and two for Michael Walker. I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> Uh, and then I realized I put the wrong guy in there. So it, it, the computer, there's definitely a difference uh, in who you're putting in. The compu this computer is, computer game is pretty cool. You know, I, that's the only fight, and please don't hold it against me, Alex, but that's the only fight I thought that Hagler would have lost uh, against Monzon. And I would have, I, I thought that because of the size. I, I think that. Uh, Hagler, his style was you give me two, I'm giving you three back. I think Monzone was similar, and I just think the size would have uh, would have overcame. I, I I think that Monzone would have been much bigger on fight night, uh, not only height wise but just all around. And and I think I think Hagler would have been given it his all and would have run out. I, I don't know, but I guess uh, no, I, the I, I kind of agree with you. Now remember, I did set these for twelve rounds. Uh, so that that could be something. I mean, I could do that and and run them for fifteen because maybe in fifteen rounds, uh, fifteen a hundred fifteen rounders, Monzone does get the better of them because I I agree with you. I think it would come down to a late round type struggle. Um, and a lot of we see that now uh, when you're battling when you're battling uh, two 
fighters that are really, really good and there's just a little shave of difference between them, it really does come down to rounds 10, 11, and 12. Uh, and that's why, in a way, it, it, I, I off. And the other thing that's frustrating is when you have like great bouts like that, like a, a Golovkin, uh, trip, um, Golovkin Canelo, or uh, Teofimo Lopez Lomachenko. It's almost like those fights should be fifteen rounders um, because. Sometimes those fights take a while to get going, uh, especially in the case of Lomachenko. But um, and then there's such little difference between the two guys. It's like you know, give us an odd number of rounds, number one, and also um, a little more when um, they're really tired, because that's when uh, the differences really show is in those last couple of rounds. And I think that's where Monzone would have um, probably won big in those final rounds against Marcus Marvin. And the only reason why I say that isn't because I felt that Monzone was in better shape than, than Hagler throughout his career. I just think that Hagler would have tried to have kept up with Monzone and ran through some of his fuel earlier in the fight. Right. And, and like you said, the size would become a bigger thing later going because you are, you're, this big guy is leaning on you. Yep. You're pressing him off. You're tangling up. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, so, I, of, of, the, of these results, those are the ones I think I kind of have a little difficulty with. But here comes Greb. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to see how this one goes because Greb, they didn't call him, you know, the, 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 wind, the Pittsburgh windmill for nothing. Yeah, and I mean, when you talk about great fighters, I mean, this is like one of the ultimate badasses because uh, in terms of the quality of, opponent, of opponents, as you say, Billy C, he fought everybody. <laughs> and uh, he so he was built most like Hagler in the sense they were exact same size. Um, and uh, the thing that was interesting, they had con- contrasting styles, which would have made this, uh, well, contrasting philosophies. Hagler, we already talked about, like to uh, when he, he's in that interview, interview with Johnny Carson, he says how uh, he goes into isolation. He likes to put himself in jail. No women. He goes into lockdown. Um, Greb, he liked sex before fights, uh, sometimes maybe in the locker room. And not only that, one of the things that Greb would do, uh, you have all these uh, great stories that in order to swing the odds uh, on himself, he would go out and drink ginger ale, but stumble around with women in bars publicly hoping to swing the odds on his fight and then he'd bet on himself and go and beat the guy uh the next night to you know get a little uh extra cashish yeah uh, so yeah he did that he did that um a, a a lot i mean uh uh he uh i remember one story that he did that and literally was staggering around, fell into a cab, or even had somebody put him in a cab, or the story goes, and then he comes back, and, and people are like, there's no way he's going to be 100% <laughs> tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, what a character he was. But, That's pretty uh, cool. That's the thing. I love stories like that because that's 
uh, part of boxing is um, trickeration, you know? Um, you, you can't get away with that today. Somebody would have a, a phone on you saying, ah, there's bubbles in that scotch. I don't know, you know? But uh, anyway, how did he make out? Okay, so when they fight, they fight. It's, uh, it's another thriller. And Hagler comes away with a close decision, a split decision. Uh, two score, all three scores were 116, were 113. Two for Hagler that way, and then one the same score, but the other way for Greb. Uh, when we look at the punch stat, it was razor thin. And actually, it's a, a case of Hagler's punches maybe being more quality punches, because Hagler threw less and landed less. Hagler threw 803 and landed 408. Greb threw 871 and landed 431. So really a thriller of a fight, exciting fight. Um, and then when they fight 100 times, this is the uh, most evenly matched of all three guys. But Hagler gets the better of them. 53 victories for Hagler, 40 for Harry Greb, seven draws. And the marvelous one stops uh, Harry Greb 13 times. And out of uh, Greb's 40 victories... He stops Hagler 11 times. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I wonder how much um, how much the modern uh, era ha has played into those results. Um, but maybe, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not letting go of uh, some of the, the guys who built this sport. Um, and I loved Hagler. I, actually, there were times I hated him, but uh, I grew, grew to love him. Um, I just, you know, against these three guys, you know, it's hard to, and, and the, the, the margins of victory with the, with the game. Um, and, and I would have thought Harry Greb might've been one of the easier wins for him because of the size and because, uh, Harry Greb comes at you with so much, the accuracy isn't there. I would have, I could have seen Hagler with the counter punching ability and, and landing a shot. Uh, or two, and then considering the eye, the weakness in the eye, which obviously, um, you know, we're assuming that both in their prime in the game. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know. The the Stanley Ketchell fight would have been one I would have loved. I would have loved to have seen all three, but I would have loved to have seen that only because Ketchell. We never got to see what Ketchell was really like. I mean, he was so accomplished at twenty four. You know, I mean. You would have had to assume that over the next two or three years, the guy would have blossomed into something elite, you know, and uh, uh, it's it's strange. It's strange. Yeah, um, I did want to say that um, if you look at the um, – I did the Mickey Walker results did finish, and uh, Hagler dominates him – well, just barely um, – uh, I'm sorry. He has 53 victories over Mickey Walker. Walker has 41 and they draw six times. He stops Mickey Walker 14 times, and Walker stops him 19 times. So again, all, all these guys uh, were talking about great battling great. Um, so yeah, they're pretty close, but you're right. I mean, I think uh, in, in terms of, of the matchups, I think I'd like to see the most and I think would be, and maybe it's because they're both um, closer in era, in actual era, is uh, Hagler Monzon. And I think also because um, 
Hagler did uh, have rivalries with uh, South American fighters. So I think I could almost picture it. You know, I could picture the press conferences. I could picture the um, uh, the weigh-in and stuff. Uh, and I and and I the way that bout played out um, on the computer, I really enjoyed that one. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that um, that was one of the guys that I think, especially towards the end when Hagler was so close to tying and breaking his record, uh, I think he thought of him as one of his peers, you know? And like you had said earlier, I think that's one of the reasons why Sugar Ray Robinson, um, you know, at welterweight, he was peerless. Um, there was just no doubt about it. But we don't have that footage to see. Um, he had so many TV classics at middleweight. So, and... It's amazing to think that's not his best. He won the title five times. No, I know, but there were much better dance. There was more known dance partners at middleweight at that time, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but you know, you can't go. I appreciate uh, all of the uh, title belt. Great stuff. But I, I want to get into, you know, the, the box rec ratings are, are crazy. Um, uh, we went over the middleweight, but the heavyweight is even worse. They, no disrespect to, to these guys, but Joe Lewis, number one. I could see that. Ali, number two. I could see that. Vladimir Klitschko. I could even see him at number three, maybe. Um, but Rocky Marciano, down to number four. I would have thought he was up higher. Sonny Liston at number five, I like. Um, Lennox Lewis at number six. Gene Tunney at number seven. I think the value of that, that Gene Tunney is ranked in the top ten all-time heavyweights, should go more towards the 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 greb situation you know of uh, him fighting are, are we at number seven and you haven't said george foreman yet no george foreman so so number seven gene tunney eight riddick bow nine tyson ten jimmy oh, bivens i like seeing bivens in here in the top 10 um uh evander holyfield number 11 tyson fury at number 12 uh, Vitaly Klitschko at 13, Joe Frazier 14, Holmes 15, Floyd Patterson. No, well, no, wait stop. You're triggering me. You're it, triggering I know, me. I know. Listen, Floyd Patterson number 16, Ingmar Johansson number 17, Jersey Joe at number 18, Anthony Joshua 19, Povetkin at number 20. What? And George Foreman at 21. They have him at 20. And then you keep going down. Believe it or not, they, just, got the, they got the... Someone made that list is it someone who accidentally stepped on a grill i, I don't know but look morning. yeah george foreman grill but bob pastor number 22 nikolai value have number 23 i mean come on please i mean he was a big guy but number 23 in the top top 50 fighters heavyweights of all time deontay wall wilder number 24 are you kidding me have El we not said larry holmes yet no larry larry holmes was number 15 Elmer Violent Ray at number 27, which I like that he's in the top uh, 30. But what I don't like is Jack Dempsey is at number 30. You know, John Ruiz, number 32. Eddie Machen, oh number my 33. God. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Norton's all the way down to, at number 38. You got David Tua and Chris Bird ahead of Kenny Norton. I mean, uh, Oliver McCall at number 42. Haseem Rockman, number 44. I mean, come on. You know, Tomas Adamak at number 50. So, I, I, I mean, these, you know, I love, the reason why I'm bringing them up is because I love when these young boxing fans start throwing box rec like it's fact. I can't, I can't accept a lot of those rankings. We've done the rankings here many, many times. But uh, 
Anyway, I, I, I yeah, hope. Yeah, I mean, I, and it, that makes me wonder if they are, if that's some kind of algorithm that puts them in that order. What are you scoring that lets a Jimmy Bivens get above a George Foreman? Well, I don't. Well, they that. do a point system, and they they claim that it's based on the the victories and and your your the people you beat who they're points were so i i don't know i i think the news yeah, the era of news we like, looked at because that that yeah that's something wrong well the era of like newspaper decisions which jack dempsey would have fallen into um is also something that they probably eliminate uh, they don't they probably don't factor in but a couple of questions i want to get your thoughts on mike tyson they were uh i mean in the beginning of the week mike tyson actually said that the third fight with evander holyfield is a done deal the very next day, his team said, uh, nay, nay, that's not a done deal. Um, apparently, um, it's not going to take place. Uh, Thriller, which was going to do it, Tyson said he's not doing it on Thriller. Um, whether they fight or not, my question to you is this. Could you possibly see Mike, I mean, this fight, it would be in the books as a as a exhibition, but could you see... Evander Holyfield fighting this fight as an as an exhibition, or would this be Evander Holyfield at the possible most possible best he could be? I think, yeah, I think both of them would. Um, I'm a little concerned about that one because I think if both guys have a potential to take it way too seriously. Um, but I think that's probably why they would want to make it. Um, if it's if it goes off the way the Roy Jones one did. Sure, I'll watch. Um, yeah, but, but the Roy Jones Jr. fight, they they call that a draw. That fight wasn't even uh, close to a draw. Well, but the, to me, it doesn't matter, you know? It, no, it, it, wasn't. it doesn't matter, but this fight would. if they. Uh, it, well, that's the part that I think makes it... Because I want this... I would want this to be fun. I wouldn't want this to become a wrestling spectacle or become too serious um where one of the guys does get mad and then do something horrible i mean i think you if, mean if it's a chance to sort of exercise the demons of the last time they were in the rec ring together and just have a fun you know 250 somethings uh going through the motion how could uh, alex how could a fight between holyfield and tyson be fun for them they they would not they would be looking to listen You'd have well, to. I think that's what it was with the Roy Jones. I think that was fun because I don't think. I think that's the part that was sort of the phony part. It's the way that they scored it. We didn't need a score because no. it was clearly they weren't going full. They weren't. It wasn't for real. But this it, one would be. I think. I honestly believe it would be. I can't see. Uh, maybe Tyson looks at it as fun and hey, let's collect ten million dollars each. But but I, I'm thinking Evander would not. Evander, well, listen. Said, it, it, me, I don't want it to be for real because I don't really think I. To me, that seems a little dangerous. I don't want, I want these guys to. And we got a perfect example um, in these recent deaths. You know, with um, Hagler um, going. You know, dying the way a lot of people would want to die. You know, 60-year-old man dies at home. Uh, you know, um, he wasn't sick, 
boom, you go out. No suffering, you know, it's sad for your family. Um, but uh, think about it. About a week or two before Hagler passed away, Frankie Randall passed away. Frankie Randall was the first guy to beat officially Julio Cesar Chavez. Much of the second, his life, the second part of his life was spent um, in, you know, a, a convalescent home because of dementia from the sport. So, I mean, this sport takes so much out of you. I don't want to see 50-year-olds go at it full force. Well, then these uh, two 50... they've already given so much. These two 50-something-year-olds shouldn't fight then. End of story. I mean, uh, Tyson clearly was was being easy. But what if it was something just fun? Like it can't be. It can't. That's my point. Evander wouldn't let it happen. Evander wouldn't let it be just fun. You, it can't. It, uh, listen. You think you think they're too competitive that they would let it be fun? It reminds me of Joe Frazier when Muhammad Ali, full blown. Uh, you know, disease in play is is lighting the friggin' Olympic torch in Atlanta, and Joe Frazier's is going. And they said, "Don't you feel for him?" Don't he says, "If I was up there, I'd push him right into that flame." <laughs> That's what it is with these two. These two, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, they can hug and and say their buddies now all they want, but that bell rings, and Evander Holyfield will be going after Mike Tyson. There is no question about it. And Mike Tyson. Uh, you know, uh, you know who knows what he would do. He's a different Mike Tyson than he than he was. I mean, I, I don't expect him to bite any ears off, but uh, but I, I do expect him to. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it is intriguing. You don't, it you is don't in- see him uh, getting a stool and bringing it over and uh, helping him up onto the stool like uh, Dillian White did to Vivekan yesterday. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I I don't see Evander doing it for Tyson. <laughs> and 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 I don't I, I I don't know I I could see Tyson doing it for Evander if he knocked him out, um, but uh, but not the other way around. But, yeah, I don't know, and and I think that I think that brings up the uh, De La Hoya thing too. Is I don't want to see De La Hoya in a fight. I'd rather see him in a, an exhibition. You know, spar with uh, Jesse James Leha. Well, what's he saying? Is he saying exhibition? He's been saying I'm real not fight, sure, but yeah. It's, also thriller so it makes me think that exhibition that it's an exhibition the only thriller is gonna do is have um just these like old codgers fight each other hey i'm okay with it mind it yeah i'm okay with that i'm okay with that but 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 with with oscar the the only fight that i would like to really see him fight is against floyd mayweather and and the the thing is is I I would like to see it a real fight. I don't want to see an exhibition. You know, um let's face it. Uh, Oscar is trying to, you know, get an extra 10 mil or 15 mil whatever he wants. I don't want to see him fight the UFC fighter they're talking about. But Yeah, hey. see, I would rather see him spar with like Doc Vargas or with Fernand, uh Felix Trinidad. I don't know if you saw the little clip. I just saw it this morning. Uh Amanda Serrano uh, had a great win this week. And uh, in Puerto Rico on that Ring City USA, I don't know if you've been watching that uh, show. That show is pretty good. I enjoy it. And um, Tito, uh, she uh, visited her and uh, brought her flowers uh, to congratulate her for the victory. And he looks good. So, hey, why not? Let's see. Um, that was a rematch I always would have liked to see. And, um, you know, it could be fun just to see the two of them spar uh, like um, 
like Roy and uh, Mike did. What was T it? Eight two-minute rounds? T T yeah. T Tito always looked good, except the night I saw him at Madison Square Garden as Don King's guest when he, guest when he fought Roy Jones Jr. But uh, uh, in any event. Um, one last question. Andy Ruiz against Chris Ariola next week as a pay-per-view going up against Derek Chisora against Parker on the zone, Dimitri Bivol against uh, Greg, uh, Craig Richards on the zone, and then Arsandi Lara is fighting uh, uh, for the vacant WBA middleweight title against Thomas uh, Cornflake, uh, Cornflake uh, Lamana. Uh, you see anybody buying that over the other fights that are going to be available or what? Uh, no, not this guy. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I like the fight. I just don't like that they're going against better ones. Yeah. And, and I think that, well, I, I mean, you think Ruiz, Ariola, I mean, it, it, it'd be, it could be fun, but it's not worth paying for. No, uh, I don't think it's worth paying for. I, 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 it all depends on which Chris Ariola shows up. If a good in-shape old Chris Ariola shows up and a good in-shape under a new trainer Andy Ruiz shows up, it could be a showcase for Ruiz. But either way, pay-per-view is not going to do well, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think so. And I don't think... Um, uh, I think... Well, for me, one of the things I did want to say is I think uh, Chris Ariola, the only thing that I think is was mildly entertaining about this was um the coronas he had the ultimate troll um when um andy ruiz i don't know if you saw that picture but he took a picture of himself a selfie like this looking down at himself like to show how fit he was i don't know that was sort of an interesting angle to choose and um so chris ariola the next day tweeted a picture of himself from that same angle, but he's on the toilet. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit. No, I didn't see any of that. I didn't oh, see man, it. it's that's just funny. so funny. But, and I think that, that that speaks to the quality of uh, what you're getting right. in that uh, in that card. Um, but I, I think it could be fun because that's the thing about heavyweights. All is forgiven when um, you get a good scrap. Right. Um, and I think that that has the potential of being a good scrap. Um, there's a potential of a lot of flesh bouncing against each slap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. There um, is. Yeah, and somebody's going to get uh, – somebody's going to leave with a concussion. Uh, maybe both guys will leave with a concussion. They're both going to leave with an appetite, I'll tell you that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they come in with that too. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that um, was – is. <sighs> And I I, 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 I don't know if you've seen some of the footage of Andy Ruiz. Um, he's wearing one of those um, rubber suits. Kind of a weird thing for such a big guy because that's more to get you down a couple pounds. Uh, I don't think he's got a problem sweating. Uh, and it's not a couple pounds that he's we he has to be concerned about so i don't know it's i just, heard i heard he lost 40 well it, it, you know it's one of those things where the scale is the only uh truth teller in a situation like that so let's wait till friday yeah you're right good point you know? alex great job I'm saying, that, I'm saying that as a person who's had problems with food 
my whole life. So, you know, if I, if I was to say, hey, I lost 30 pounds, Billy C., it's like, oh, yeah, well, let's wait. Let's wait till we see Alex. <laughs> we well, hey, uh, kudos to you, though. You look great. And uh, <laughs> it's a lot of that weight you lost, I, I think I found. But uh, <laughs> in any event, uh, Alex, keep up the good work. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll be doing uh, another show next weekend. Sounds great, Billy C. You take care. All right, brother. That's my main man, Alex Papali, giving us his thoughts on uh, um, the uh, title bout results. Going blank here. I got a couple of emails I want to read to wrap up the show. Uh, two of them are, first of all, I want to give a, a shout-out to my man, Augie, from Riverhead, uh, who's uh, always uh, communicating with me, and I appreciate that. Um, and I, I got um, a... Uh, uh, a email, two two really good emails that I wanted to read. Not that I didn't get others, uh, but you know, I, I I figured I'd bore you I, with all of the hey, we're great to have you back. You're the best, blah blah blah. Because I got a bunch of those, and uh, quite honestly, they're they're um, I appreciate them, uh, but I hate reading them. But these these are along those lines, but they have a much better uh, basis on them. And and the first one's from my man David. And he says, uh, hey, Billy C., it was the best news I've heard in a long time that you've resumed doing your podcast. Your wit and wisdom had been deeply missed. My experience with boxing goes back to watching the great Willie Pep fight at the Mechanics Building in Boston. Your feel for boxers, their lives, styles, and abilities is unmatched in sports analysis. Dax, Alex, and Sal complete a great show. In these strange times, yours is a show that cuts through the BS and gets to and gets to what matters. Thanks again, Dave. I'm reading this one because, um, number one, I, you know, I appreciate the accolades. Uh, that's not the reason why I read it. The reason why I read it is because, you know, I, the the end of that email about we cut through the BS and we want to uh, just get to the point is what we try to do here. I, I it, it irks the hell out of me when I get, uh, comments from from people that simply don't know the sport saying that I don't know the sport um, you know I've been involved in the sport uh, 33 years I've done everything but train you know I fought uh, I've promoted I've you know written I've done a, a book I've I've promoted fights I've I've managed fighters I've you know been involved with sanctioning bodies the, the whole nine the only thing I never did was I was never a trainer and I never claimed to be um, so I think me, uh, myself, uh, the staff that, that is on this show, we know the sport. And I always appreciate when I listen to another uh, boxing fan that obviously has a history in the sport that can appreciate it because it's very easy not to. So I, I, I want to thank uh, Dave for that. And my other one is Alex T., the other Alex T. Uh, he says, uh, it's, it was great to hear a new episode and especially the news about Sal made my day. In case you missed it, my man Sal Rocky Senecola is doing great. And uh, uh, we hope to have him back on the show soon. Uh, he said, I loved what you said about how you always wanted your show to be like a few friends sitting at a bar talking about boxing. That was spot on. I remember the first episode I ever heard and you guys discussed current fights and then talked about Ezra Charles and Charlie Burley. That was my kind of show, I thought. I tried listening to other shows. They're just not for me. I'm the old guy now. I don't give a shit about what's trending on Google or Twitter. I don't give a shit about social media. 
I'm only interested in what happens in the ring. Outside of your audience, I feel like we're a dying breed. Bill, can you imagine someone who says they're a baseball expert and they don't know anything about Ted Williams? Could you imagine someone calling, calling themselves an expert on football and they don't know anything about Jim Brown? We'd call those guys idiots. Not in boxing, though. In boxing, you can have zero knowledge about anything aside from what you read on social media. Then you go and start your own podcast and somehow you've become an expert. Makes no sense. Anyway, welcome back. For me, this show fills a void that I can't get anywhere else. I, I appreciate everything Alex T. just said. And I thank him for expressing it the way he did because it makes me feel really good that people get, at least some people get what we're trying to do here. And, and exactly what Alex says in this email was our goal from day one, 18 years ago. Um, we wanted to be that kind of a show. I had, I'll be honest when I say I had hoped that we would have attracted more younger fans that wanted to learn about the sport. I felt that the void was there, that the education process of the sport of boxing was lacking, even back when we started the show 18 years ago. Um, it's more apparent now that um, younger boxing fans focus on their fighter and that's it, and everybody else is, doesn't know. You don't know boxing. That's what I hear a lot. You don't know boxing. Yeah, okay. Um, but... Uh, the, the sad part about this email is the most truthful. And it's the part that says, outside of your audience, I feel like we're a dying breed. Well, that's true. We are. And my audience can, you know, back that up. It's not the biggest audience anymore. Um, but I do know that my audience is the most knowledgeable selection and group of boxing fans that are out there. And there's no question about that. And I want to thank all of you that listen and watch this show on a regular basis because it's for you uh, is why we continue to do it. And it's for you why we came back, despite my opinion on what's going on in the world today, uh, what's going on in the sport, and not just this sport, all sports, but it was for the diehard fan and the diehard boxing fan specifically that we came back because I do want to help and discuss uh, the sport, the great part of the sport, not all the bullshit that we do here and see. Uh, you know, I hear the other day uh, that, you know, um, uh, fighters getting arrested and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, uh, you know, um, counts of this, counts of that, good quality fighters. I don't even want to mention names, but you know who I'm talking about. Uh, it's a shame. But uh, in any event, listen. Thanks for the emails. Feel free to comment. All you gots to do is drop me an email, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, and uh, I will read it live. And uh, listen, just remember, tune in. Same bad time, same bad channel next time. Until then, ciao, baby.